listening to Astroscope, astrology podcast by Mark Lerner and Great Bear Enterprises. This podcast is sponsored by Buzzword Consulting and Forfame.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast number 84. It is Tuesday, July 20th, 2021, and after offering the astrology of UFOs, the Geneva Summit, and the Nuclear Axis Part 1, we now present the astrology of a rare asteroid apocalypse during 2021. This new podcast contains the charts for the discoveries of the largest asteroid series on January 1 of 1801 and the faraway planet Sedna on November 14, 2003. The chart for the first of three Ceres Sedna conjunctions in Taurus on July 28, 2021. The chart for the eminent astrologer Eleanor Bach, born on January 11, 1922, plus the cover image from one of our Welcome to Planet Earth astrology magazines from the summer of 1997 that contains a special feature on the series mystery. Overall, this is the 84th podcast offered to the public since May of 2019. Now, uh, I just mentioned that it is uh, January, excuse me, July 20th of 2021, and out here on the West Coast in Oregon, uh, turns out Jupiter, the largest planet in our solar system, is exactly rising. The Moon and Juno, Juno is going to be one of the main four asteroids we're going to talk about. They're overhead. During the course of this podcast, which will probably be about a two-hour podcast, uh, we're going to have uh, Neptune and Pallas that are close together. Pallas Athena, another of the major asteroids I'll be talking about, they'll be rising as I'm sharing, and probably Chiron, which is also very prominent, um, will be rising as well in sign Aries. By the time I'm done here, uh, Uranus and Taurus, close to Ceres, the largest asteroid, they'll be in the first house of self-expression. So there's a lot of activity going on right now in terms of the celestial bodies. Okay, so having said all of that, here's where I want to go. There's five major areas that I'd like to cover here. I will wind up reading from that magazine, which is uh, from the summer of 1997. Um, the cover story was actually the forgotten cycle, Pluto inside Neptune's orbit. I'll get into that at another time. This was actually um, our 16th anniversary edition in 1997. So we're talking about uh, a time period now of almost 24 years ago. And on that cover, I also had a picture of the goddess Ceres, and uh, I will be reading from that later, uh, a little article called the Ceres Mysteries. Now, as another introduction here um, on my cell phone, this is just in the last two days or so. Um, I often go to a place called Smart News, and it's a potpourri of areas of media, magazines, newspapers from left to right, center, from all over the planet. It's not one-dimensional. So part of the story here, the reason I'm calling this uh, asteroid apocalypse uh, is not a particular asteroid. I'm focusing, um, because of how I learned about astrology from the asteroids, my great teacher Eleanor Bach was um, the person who brought us the first asteroid ephemeris for Ceres, Pallas, Athena, Juno, and Vesta. 
She was my first physical teacher in New York City when I started in astrology back 48 years ago in New York and in Manhattan. And she had many different students come over to her uh her her residence in the Chelsea area of 23rd Street, Manhattan. I was fortunately one of those persons. Now, I had many other astrologers, particularly I've mentioned Dane Rudyard, Dr. Mark Edmund Jones, Charles Carter, Charles Jane, Charles Emerson, uh, Evangeline Adams. But Eleanor Bach was my actually first physical teacher. And uh, so she changed everything because for uh, what happened was that the first four asteroids were discovered between 1801 and 1807, but they were never put into a form in uh, the Zodiac so that we could actually use them. And her hardcover ephemeris that came out in 1973, just as I was beginning to be one of her students, um, had those four asteroids every five days from 1900 to 2000. Actually, over the course of many decades, I eventually sold that book in order to travel. As many of you know, I lived at the Finhorn community in Northern Scotland, 1970s and so on. And then, oh, I don't know, about five or six years ago, somebody gifted me with one of the original copies of that hardcover ephemeris. And so I'm very grateful that I have that right now. I'll be mentioning a couple other books later, but on um, some of the stories that I just wanted to bring up, this relates to the power of the four main asteroids in four different elemental signs, that doesn't always happen that the four asteroids, which have orbits between around three plus to five years, we're talking again, Ceres, Pallas, Athena, Juno, and Vesta, they are very, very influential this year. Um, and they don't always stop, make a station, go in reverse for several months, come out of that, and so on. All four of them in different elemental signs and also these four main asteroids are being hooked up with other key places for instance Pallas Athena is making three alignments uh, in 2021 into the beginning of 2022 with Neptune and what I'm about to share and the, and the real reason for this is that Ceres and the faraway planet Sedna which has an 11,000 plus year orbit and was only discovered in November of 2003 they're hooking up in exact conjunctions when the first of the three is about to be happening eight days from now. And that was the original catalyst for why I'm doing this. But as I was beginning to study that and I wanted to bring up Eleanor Bach and her work, and then I decided, well, I'd like to also talk about her chart. And we'll get back into the fact that many of the podcasts of the other 83 podcasts I've done in the last two years have been about the asteroids as well as Ceres and Sedna and so many interplanetary connections. Okay, well, um, part of the reason I'm sharing this is the largest asteroid series has always been known as a connector to Mother Earth and Mother Nature, land, agriculture, labor, productivity, and when things go negative, conditions like drought. Every, every celestial body has its positive side and its negative side. So the old notion before the discovery of the outer planets, Uranus in 1781, Neptune 1846, Pluto 1930, Chiron 1977, and many of these other outer planets and other asteroids and what we call the centaur bodies that are connected to Chiron and Shariklo and Pholos and some of these other planetary bodies that orbit between Saturn and then out to, to Uranus and Neptune and Pluto and so on. There's a whole bunch of different bodies. 
But Ceres, which was discovered January 1 of 1801, has a tremendous connection to the Earth itself. In fact, if you're looking at your own birth chart, people get their charts done. You start studying your transits and your progressions. Of course, I, I do consultations. We'll get back into uh, all of that and what we have available in terms of reports and consultations in our, our app, Astrology Cosmic Calendar. I'll mention some of those things as we go along here so that you can tune in and order reports or get the Cosmic Calendar by subscription and other things. But nevertheless, um, the whole idea that our planet right now, of course, we've had this issue of climate change, the Earth heating up, the extremes of weather. Um, so the first main asteroid discovered January 1, 1801 has a tremendous amount um, of influence on Earth issues in general. Now, on my website here at www.greatbearenterprises.com, there is a complimentary section called Astro-Business-Keys. And even though it says business, actually, um, it has themes and archetypes for the sun and moon, the eight main planets, the four main asteroids, as well as Chiron. So I strongly recommend um, a little extra tutorial if you want to know more about the, the four main asteroids and Chiron, that's complimentary. And even though it says business, you'll see a lot of themes and archetypes that go way beyond that. Again, I, I'm sort of reluctant to do this particular podcast because my research is showing that the asteroids can be misused, particularly because they wind up being in conjunction or opposition with certain transiting planets and other things that go on. And so sometimes what happens is all the good-natured energy or the positive influences of a Ceres, a Pallas Athena, a Juno, Vesta, and other celestial bodies can get manipulated or, in a sense, hijacked so that they don't focus on uplifting all of us, but instead, as we're seeing, uh, all the fires that are raging in the west of the United States and other places. It's not just there. Um, I'll mention uh, right now something's happening in Siberia. We know about the the, the Arctic and the Antarctic of, of glaciers melting, and we've seen all of these things for so many different years. The whole issue of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, destroying rainforests. So we're well aware of all the pollution, the environmental storms, and so on. And it's not just the asteroids. For instance, this year, the key alignment that's affecting everyone, because it's happening three times, is fundamentally Saturn in the sign of Aquarius, usually considered to be ruled by Uranus, even though if we go back before the discovery of Uranus in 1781, Saturn was always said to rule two signs, Capricorn and Aquarius. So now Saturn's in Aquarius and Uranus is in the Venusian sign of Taurus, an earth sign, and they are making three squares to one another. They don't always do that. The first one happened in February. Then we just had another one on June 14th. And the third of these is going to happen um, right around the time after the winter solstice in the northern hemisphere. It'll hit uh, December 23rd, December 24th, and even affect Christmas. So we have this ongoing battle between two very significant regular planets in fixed power signs, and we've already had two of three of those squares, and we know that squares, while they can be helpful, they can be dynamic, they often represent friction, abrasiveness, and tensions. So I'm not denying the fact that you could look at Saturn square Uranus and say a lot of the things that are plaguing the Earth, whether it's floods, fires, wind, 
excessive and extreme uh, conditions that are affecting all over the planet can be related. You could kind of look into different charts when events are happening, like the start of a flood or the start of a fire or any kind of different things are, that are occurring. And you could see the prominence of Saturn, Uranus and say, oh, okay, they seem like they're causing it. What I wanted to do was open up the door to our understanding that sometimes it's the asteroids because they have always been diminished. And the reason why is they're considered to be small, that they're not large enough to be considered a Venus or a Mars or obviously the two largest planets, Jupiter, Saturn, or the giant planets, Uranus and Neptune. Um, so because when they were discovered early on, in fact, it was the discoverer of Uranus or William Herschel, He's the person who kind of, in a way, was a major uh, figure in the field of astronomy to demote the discovery of Ceres, Pallas Athena, Juno, and Vesta between 1801 and 1807. The astronomers who discovered those celestial bodies felt that they had discovered planets. And it was Sir William Herschel who had discovered Uranus in 1781, became very distinguished because of that. So then 19, 20 years later, when Ceres is discovered, by an astronomer Piazzi uh, in Sicily, it, very soon after that, it was Sir William Herschel and others who said, you know, they're not really all that big. We don't know exactly what's happening in the zone between Mars and Jupiter where these little planets are, or these planets are being found. And so he termed them asteroids, star-like, and therefore for well over a hundred years, and in fact, from between 1801, 1807, when the first four were discovered, Again, it wasn't until Eleanor Bach with her hardcover volume on the, on the four main asteroids, that's 1973. So you got basically 160 plus to 170 years went by before those asteroids began to be used in charts. And one of the things I've always felt, and I've shared this in many of the podcasts already, is that when I got into astrology back in 1972-73, and again, Dane Rudger was my main male teacher, and I learned tremendous amounts from him, as well as Dr. Mark Edmund Jones, Charles Carter of England, and many others. The problem was, is that if you were thinking of what, what is the solar system, there was only Venus as a planet and the moon being primarily feminine. And the moon is considered the Earth's satellite. It's not actually a planet. In some cultures, the moon is not always considered feminine. So um, you have Venus, but then you have Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, Mercury, uh, Uranus. What's wrong with this picture is that the astrology that I came into 48 years ago before luckily being connected with Eleanor Bach and the four main asteroids was a male dominated field of study. It seemed completely imbalanced. Now, I had earlier when I was in college in the, the late 60s, we had the National Organization of Women had come into, into effect in 1966. There was the uh, Equal Rights Amendment, which eventually failed, but was trying to get through the Congress and so on. So in astrology, Eleanor Bach and then many other um, astrologers after Eleanor started taking hold of Ceres, Pallas, Athena, Juno, and Vesta as great goddesses and feminine archetypes. And you go back to ancient Greece and Rome and the mythologies, and you see that these are great goddesses that were worshipped, that were recognized at that time. So it's pretty phenomenal to me that the, the, there were actually three astronomers who discovered those first four asteroids because one astronomer discovered two of them. I don't remember his name at the moment. 
But um, the point was these were male astronomers who were discovering the four main asteroids, and they decided to name them after goddesses of ancient Rome, Ceres, Pallas, or Pallas Athena, as I would like to call her, Juno and Vesta. So early on, as I got into astrology, and now with the podcasts that I've been doing, the first 17 podcasts that I did back two plus years ago were all about the progressed sun, what's called the secondary progressed sun of the United States birth chart from July 4th, 1776, and the secondary progressed Pallas Athena that just happened to be forming the first ever conjunction for the United States. And secondary progressions, we all have them. I've been telling you through all these podcasts that if you've not had your progress chart done, we've got Skylog reports, timeline reports, we've got life progressions. They're all in our astrology report section in the astrology shop here at www.greatbearenterprises. And when I do consultations, I work with people's transits and progressions, not just the natal chart, and also do include the four main asteroids and Chiron. And now I'm including other bodies like Sedna and Eris if necessary in order to look at some of these outer planets. So at any rate, going back two plus years, I was already focused on, again, this is during the Trump and Pence administration uh, two plus years ago, um, on the United States prog secondary progressed sun at 14 of Pisces, coming into a conjunction with Pallas Athena at 14 of Pisces. In the United States actual birth chart, the moon in late Aquarius, July 4th of 1776, is conjunct Pallas Athena. Now we've learned also another plant, faraway planet called Quayar, um, named after a Native American um, uh, leader in the Los Angeles area, this planet Quayar. They're all together. So the United States, we didn't know this in the beginning. We didn't even know where Pallas Athena was in 1776 because Pallas Athena wasn't discovered until the Jefferson administration in 1802. And then suddenly it's like, uh, again, we didn't know this until Eleanor Bach basically brought us the asteroids in the 1970s and beyond. We started doing much more research, not only about individuals' charts, but the chart for the United States or the Soviet Union, China, India, different countries around the world. Oh, where's their Pallas Athena? Where's their Ceres? And so on. So the United States has an incredibly powerful Pallas Athena because it's exactly with the moon on July 4th, 1776. But what had never happened was that on an inner level through what we call secondary progressions based on each day after birth equal to a year of living. That's the, the use of secondary progressions. They've been used in astrology for hundreds of years. This is not a new thing. Now, there are other progressions, solar arc progressions, tertiary progressions, primary directions. There are many different kinds of progressions. But the main progress system that's been in use for hundreds of years is called secondary progressions. Again, where each day after you're born in the year you're, you're, you're born in is a year of your life. So if you're 50 years old, we look 50 days after your birth. If you're 25 years old, we look 25 days after your birth. If you're 75 years old, we look 75 days after your birth. Now, it's much more than that. And these are on a deeper level, we might say psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually, in a slow motion unfoldment. From, from the year of your birth, whereas the transits that so many people use now is like, okay, what's happening in my life? Let's, let's look at transiting Jupiter, Saturn, Venus, Mars, where are these planets around the chart? That's what we look at and normally we d define as what's happening for me. 
what's what are my opportunities what are my challenges astrologers who do the work for their clients or if you do it for yourself normally it's here's the natal chart now i want to see what are my transits are they up are they down or you know what houses are, are they in but unless you get into secondary progressions or what are called solar arc progressions which are a slower motion and going back to your birth year you don't necessarily see all these powerful forces at work at any rate, um, I'm going to give a little bit more of an introduction to the things that we're going to do here before I jump in and give you dates and times about Ceres and Sedna coming together and some of these other things. And eventually at the end here, I'm going to read from the Ceres mystery, which I, I wrote uh, 24 years ago. Actually, that article goes back to something I had written earlier, six years before that in 1991. I don't have that other article available, but I do have... Um, this one from 1997, where I'm quoting from the one from 1991. So the point is, whether you, in 1997, at the end of this particular podcast, I'm going to be reading something that went out to the public, the, the subscribers of Woken Planet Earth, which were the, the Earth Astrology or Monday in Astrology newspaper and then magazine that went out to the planet for two decades. So that's 24 years ago from this particular cover story. And by the way, there is a folder at greatbearenterprises.com uh, in the area of these um, Mark Lerner Astrology Radio Astroscope. So you, you may wind up listening on Spotify or Apple or somewhere else, but you should go to our website here at greatbearenterprise.com and to the Mark Lerner Astrology Radio Astroscope section. And there is fo a folder where you can see the charts that I'm talking about as well as the cover story for this. And that's very, very illuminating when you realize, um, as I'm sharing, that many of the podcasts, again, the first 17 that I did back in May, June, July, August of 2019, they were all focused in one way or another about the progressed Pallas Athena for the United States and the progressed Sun for the United States. And then what just actually happened in the spring of this year, because the faraway planet Sedna, which moves so slowly, was in the same spot both natally and by progression, we've actually had over these last couple of years in the transition between um, the Trump-Pence administration with all the controversies there and then through the election time last year and now the new administration of Biden and Harris. And of course, we have so many people on the, the right side of politics who are saying, no, they didn't really qualify. It wasn't a valid election. Of course, the people in the Democratic Party are saying it was valid. So we still have all this contentiousness going on. Um, but the fundamental fact is that there's a very, very powerful energy of the sun. This is still happening. Progressed, what we call secondary progressions, and Pallas Athena and Sedna, both natally and progressed. So three celestial bodies, two, one is an asteroid, part of the, the original four, Pallas Athena, the traditional goddess of knowledge and wisdom and problem solving and strategizing and so many other amazing qualities, including the immune system in the human body, particularly emphasized by Eleanor Bach with her research. Um, and Sedna, which is newly discovered, but I've, I've shared before, has a lot to do with the depths of the oceans because of the myth by which Sedna came uh, to us uh, and that particular name from Inuit or Eskimo, Eskimo mythology. And when Sedna was discovered in November of 2003, the astronomers there named this Sedna. Again, 
an 11,400-year orbit, but because Sedna at this point in its an enormously long orbit happens to be reasonably close, so with our telescopes we can actually see it, that's why it was discovered back in November 2003. And as we'll see, um, because I'm putting out the charts for the discovery of, of Ceres in 1801, discovery of Sedna in 2003, oddly enough, and amazingly, because this whole topic here was catalyzed because Ceres and Sedna are about to come into a triple conjunction and lay Taurus, when both of these celestial bodies were discovered, Ceres and Sedna, they were both in Taurus, only about f five to six degrees apart. So here's, you know, kind of the queen of all the asteroids, the first one discovered on the first day of the 19th century, January 1 of 1801, this astronomer Piazzi in Sicily discovers what he feels is a new planet, which is then demoted partly through Sir William Herschel and calling it an asteroid instead of a planet. Then it takes basically a hundred and what, 172 years before Eleanor Bach brings that asteroid out in every five day intervals along with Pallas, Athena, Juno and Vesta so that astrologers can start using them and putting them in all these different charts. So the extraordinary thing is that I just happened to tap into and begin my podcast two plus years ago. And part of the reason for that was I was diagnosing and interpreting what is going on in the United States. And therefore, knowing that I've used transits and progressions for almost 50 years when I do my personal consultations and all the stories that I wrote in Welcome Planet Earth, along with so many other great astrologers working with me um, in what we call mundane or Earth astrology. So uh, the bottom line is these progressions are very powerful. The asteroids are very powerful. And let me just go here for one second, because I'm trying to draw a parallel to the fact, as we'll see, that a lot of these anomalies that are happening, if you look at the 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 very stark image that my daughter Katya Lerner, who runs the website, has put together for this particular podcast, uh, Podcast 84. There's a very dramatic image here of the of the Earth and being influenced by the four main asteroids, kind of with a, a lightning-like energy. So again, I'm sort of reluctant to, I, I'm not here blaming the four asteroids, but I think that what's happening is, to some extent, a lot of the shadowy energies of the asteroids, of the four main asteroids, and the involvement with, with Sedna, as we'll see, series with Sedna. And I'm not here to say, look, I know exactly what's going to happen. We're going to have three of these series Sedna conjunctions, and I am presenting the chart for the first one with a great deal of, of exactitude within an hour or so, because it's hard to calculate a series Sedna conjunction because Sedna moves so slowly. I mean, we're talking about a planet that has an 11,000-year orbit, so it's not exactly speeding around like the moon, which is the fastest-moving body that moves through a sign in two to two and a half days, or Mercury, the fastest-moving planet that can move over two degrees in a day, sometimes a lot slower, of course, when it stations and goes retrograde and then direct and so on. Okay, well, here's a smattering of these stories, okay, that have, as I'm, in other words, on the eve of my preparing to do this story, I often like to see in particular, is there evidence? Is something coming through that validates the fact that I'm focusing on the subject? And again, the focus is that so many of the extremes of the weather and the air and the climate and the things that are affecting people, and this is not just in theory, we've got floods, we've got fires, people are dying, people are losing their homes, they're being misplaced. I mean, remember last year on the West Coast of the United States, 
and now we're having a repeat here or even earlier. At any rate, so here's just, these are just titles, okay? Uh, smoke from, from the Western wildfires has reached the East Coast and it's causing air quality issues in hazy skies. Again, this is coming out of what's called smart news and it's from a, I don't even know where it's from, but it's, it's from, I, I don't download any stories where it's going to be fake news. Here's another one. Thousands of wells could go dry in California as most of the state experiences extreme drought. Here's another one. Um, I've been, of course, we all know in the United States what's going on in the West Coast, what's happened in the last several weeks, these fires that are out of control. So again, this is, this is from today. Everything is on fire. Siberia hit by unprecedented burning. And again, with these stories, you'll see pictures of what's going on. You'll see whoever is writing about them. Here's another one. This is again from just from today. Um, China horror floods as entire region ravaged by worst rain in 60 years. Fears many dead. So there's another story right there. Um, then there, don't miss out on the Olympic Games. I've been very concerned um, that so many thousands of athletes are going to go to Tokyo and the Japanese have have not really vaccinated themselves very much. I just heard a report today. Only about 12% of, of people in Japan and Tokyo, we know, is such a crowded city and they already decided in the last week or so not to actually have people in the facilities, in the stadiums. Meanwhile, some of the athletes in these bubble areas on the campuses around um, where, the, where they're going to be performing or doing their athletics and so on, they're already coming down with COVID. And then you got reporters and all these people are flying in and flying out. So I will get back into the subject later, particularly because of Palace Athena, which has a lot to do. And I believe this 100% from the research of Eleanor Bach. She wrote about it so much that Palace Athena in particular is connected to the immune system, to DNA and the genetic code. And in several of the podcasts, I actually read from stories that Eleanor Bach wrote for my magazine, Welcome Planet Earth. And she passed 26 years ago. And I felt compelled to be able to share this because of what was happening last year with the pandemic in the United States and a lot of the failings of our being able to get on target with it. And we're still having enormous challenges with it, even though it seems as if we're making a lot of progress. So uh, I'm very concerned. In fact, today there was a story that the person, the CEO in charge of the Olympics, of the committee there in Tokyo, is even saying, we might actually cancel this in, in the 11th hour. So you got all these athletes over there, and because there has been an upsurge of COVID and so on, whether it's the Delta variant or some other variants, there are all these different variants as the, um, the virus has been mutating. So it's what's happening in the United States might seem like, oh, we've got 60% or 70% of certain people vaccinated. Of course, in many rural areas of this country, it, the vaccinations are lagging. And we still have all the different percentage of people who believe that either either it's a hoax, it's not going to bother them, or they don't they have their own freedoms and they don't want to be a part of this thing. Here's another one. Um, U.S. mega drought could trigger arsenic death cloud, death cloud, un, quote unquote, and unleash catastrophe on West Coast. And that's, that might sound like, oh, that's got to be fake news. But that's not because arsenic can be in the soil. And when you have an extreme amount of drought and when, with these conditions that are happening, then as the dust 
picks up with some of these wildfires and lightning storms in certain areas. Again, Utah in the United States is the most drought um, restricted uh, area of our country at this point. But out here in Oregon, California, Arizona, Colorado, um, Idaho, Wyoming. I mean, when you look at some of these maps and stories, you see how far it is going on the West Coast here and into the middle areas. Sprawling Oregon blaze expands, forcing firefighters, residents into retreat. Again, that's in the, the southeastern area of, of the state I'm living in. Here's another one, dangerous combination of drought and dry lightning to set up in the Northwest United States. Now, I've been, I look at what we might call astro meteorology and one of the podcasts I did several podcasts ago was about Mercury and Juno. Okay, Juno as a goddess, when negative, not when positive, when, when Juno is positive, she represents peace and harmony, particularly in relationships, in marriage. But when Juno is negative, as the smallest of the four main asteroids, as Eleanor Bach would say, and other um, specialists on the asteroids, but particularly Eleanor Bach, would say smallness, just like the bigness of Jupiter, is a quality. And therefore, terrorism uh, by the weak, by people who feel dispossessed, they've lost power, they're out uh, in terms of society, if they're not recognized, and so on. Very often, anger, rage by the dispossessed, by people who feel belittled, whether individuals or groups of people or communities of people, um, often connect up to a negative form of Juno. But also, Juno is a goddess of atmospheric storms. And so I did a particular podcast was connected to a new moon and a full moon. This is several months ago, and it was called Astrometeorology, connected to Mercury and Juno. Okay, so uh, again, a couple more stories, and then we're going to move on here. Oregon's bootleg fire, again, this is an enormous fire in our own state, largest in U.S., grows bigger, thousands evacuated. Then, um, again, this is part of the asteroid apocalypse has to do with um, the upsurge of the Delta virus in this country. And let me just, before I forget this, because I'm probably going to forget it in the in the course of everything, um, there was the Sturgis motorcyclist came last um, summer in August into the state of South Dakota. Now, it, I've done a lot of research about states' charts. Okay, I don't know where you're living, but every state in the United States has a chart for when it enters the Union. You may be living in a state that feels good to you, or sometimes the state chart, the sun, the moon, the different planets, the state chart may not be all that helpful for you in your life. Now, many of you know there's astrocartography developed by Jim Lewis and other people over the last 40 or 15 years. So I myself was born in New York. I'm living on the West Coast of the United States the last 37 years. So I have a relocated chart that's kind of like a template that goes on top of my own birth chart. It doesn't mean your birth chart is extinguished if you move three time zones or halfway around the planet or one time zone. If you li you're born in uh, the state of Washington, you move down to San Diego. If you're born in um, somewhere in the Northeast and you, you, you retire and you're down in Florida in the same time zone, the chart can still change. And then there's the state chart. Are you compatible with that chart or not? I've done a lot of work and with, with clients where very often a person is not compatible with the state they're in or the state they were born in, or they've moved somewhere and the relocation puts certain planets like Mars exactly at the bottom of the chart or, or Pluto somewhere where you don't want it to be. Now, astrocartography is often used now 
oh, I, I want to move to a place where Venus is rising to find love, or Jupiter is at the midhaven at the top of the chart, and that can be good for money. And that, that can be done. It's part of what we might call electional astrology, one of the more ancient forms, not having to do with elections in politics, but electing to do things or go to certain places in order to take advantage of things like an astrocartography move. So at any rate, um, I could go on here. Every day I'm downloading these stories. Uh, okay, a couple more here. Uh, how Delta or the Delta variant is pushing the U.S. into a new phase of the COVID-19 pandemic. So um, this is, uh, and again, here's a subtitle. Vaccines are absolutely helping blunt the impact of COVID-19 outbreaks, but uptake isn't to the point yet where it can preclude increases in hospitalizations and deaths. If you watch the news at all, and again, it's it's sometimes terrifying to watch the news. It's very depressing often. But right now in the United States, particularly a lot of Missouri, a lot of Arkansas and several other states, including Florida, are having some enormous upticks um, in, in hospitalizations, particularly by unvaccinated people who are more um, susceptible to uh, the, the Delta variant that apparently is the 85, about 85% of the particular type of mutated virus of COVID that's now affecting people. And of course, if you've been vaccinated, then um, you have a much greater chance of not not picking up even this, this variant or were you to have what they call a breakthrough, which isn't really a positive thing, it's a negative thing in their terminology, where you might pick up this this uh, COVID in some capacity. If you've already had two vaccinations, you might even have it and you might not even realize you have it because the, the vaccine that you have is strengthening your immune system. Again, this gets back into what I call Pallas Athena and its influence, um, which I feel very strongly is correct. Uh, of all the celestial bodies, I believe, as Eleanor Bach did with her great research on this, that Pallas Athena, more than any celestial body, including the sun, the moon, and all the regular planets, the Pallas Athena has a very special connection to um, the immune system, both good and bad. Okay, so what else do I want to say here right at the beginning? And then we're going to get into the nitty gritty here. Okay, um, because I'm doing this podcast and somewhat reluctantly to talk about the fact that the four main asteroids with all their superlative qualities, again, you can read those in astro-business-keys, you can go to Google, you can go to Safari, you can look up Ceres, you can look up Pallas Athena, you can look up Juno and Vesta. Now, in our report section, in the astrology shop at greatbearenterprise.com, in the report section, which are 15 computerized reports, one of the reports is four asteroids in Chiron. It's a natal report. goes over the four main asteroids in Chiron in the signs that they're in, the houses they're in, in your birth chart, the aspects that they're having, and they're very good uh, sections in there. Again, it's computerized, but all based on your month, day, and year, your exact time and place. So that's something we've had in there, and it's not very expensive to get without getting a whole reading. It's a report, and we send it out within 48 hours after you order it, and it's an attachment to email. There's also Just for Women, which is a report um, designed by an astrologer, Gloria Starr, and that also includes a small section on the asteroids at the end, but it's uh, fundamentally uh, designed for women to look at their natal chart. So we, we've been having what's called the three-in-one special energized 2021-2022. That's still available, and we've been running that all year. That has what's called the Sky Within Natal Report, designed by the great astrologer Stephen Forrest, 
as well as a one-year Skylog report on your major transits and progressions, and an advanced personal numerology report based on the full name at your birth. So many people have ordered that. Now we're adding to that a new three-in-one where it's more of the feminine and the goddess energies. Again, for the same discounted price, $89.99. Normally these are all three would be $135. So Skylog is at the heart and soul of this thing because that's the best written report. And we've been, I've sold more of those reports through at Great Bear Enterprises because it's so well written. There's three sections, the invitation, the means, and the details. The details are more of keynotes and keywords, but the invitation, the means, if you've never got into your progressions, if you're not focused that much on your transits, these um, three-in-one reports, again, this new one, which you'll see available um, on our website at Great Bear Enterprises, on the homepage, you'll see it there, and you'll see it in our astrology shop in the astrology report area. So now we have th three reports, two different kinds, bundled together to energize the rest of this year of 2021 and get into 2022 through Skylog. So these are essential to have, and they're, it's, it's a great price. Otherwise, I wouldn't be offering it. And as I've often shared with you, I don't like and I have never liked marketing and advertising. In 20 years of doing my magazine in the 80s and 90s, this was always something I dreaded doing. But I wanted to at least have advertising in the magazine like most magazines have. So I, I put it out there. I gave discounts to marketers and advertising and worked it out. So um, pardon me for kind of uh, interfering with what I'm about to share about the nitty gritty here of Ceres and Sedna coming together three times and some other information about the asteroids and about Eleanor Bach and some other things and reading the story. But I think it's important because of what this topic is that the asteroids this year in particular are exceedingly powerful and they are partly responsible when they're either misused or they're co-opted or they're hijacked by other planets and other configurations whether it's the nodes of the moon, for instance, Juno, which is in Sagittarius, is very close to the fate destiny nodes of the moon. And that's one of the things that's putting a strain on Juno being able to be the, on the higher level, the key asteroid of creating peace and harmony uh, and empowerment in relationships. Because if it's hooked up to the nodes and they have a lot to do with fate and destiny at certain points, it can't always express itself in its own way by itself. So a lot of this depends on, are the asteroids alone? Are they with something in a conjunction as Pallas Athena is with Neptune very close this year? And it's already come, come together once in May and they will come together, Pallas, Athena and Neptune in August and then in January, 2022. So that's how Pallas Athena, which has a lot to do with the immune system is very connected to these problems having to do, whether it's in the Tokyo Olympics or, um, by the way, I mentioned uh, Sturgis in August of this year will be another repeat of uh, in, in South Dakota. Uh, and I've studied the chart of South Dakota. They have a very dangerous Mars energy there, um, which I've shared in other podcasts. And their governor does not particularly care. Uh, her name is Christy Nome and her son, she's born at the end of November. I forget what year, but her son is exactly in the United States rising degree in Sagittarius. And she didn't care that almost a half a million bikers came to as they go to this small town called Sturgis in August. And that's about to happen in a couple of weeks. And they traced it last year using cell phones. 
And part of the outbreak in the fall of last year had to do with all of these motorcyclists who went to South Dakota unmasked at that point, not caring that not thinking that like, oh, this isn't a real virus or it's being exaggerated. I don't have to listen to doctors. I can do my own thing, whatever. They're going to be back and, and they're going to be very strong and they're not going to be wearing masks. And the odds are, I haven't heard anything about the governor changing her mind. She seems very adamant, like people should be able to f be free to do whatever they want to do. So I've shared the South Dakota chart. They had a, a number of issues that came up with meatpacking plants and outbreaks of last year, and it still didn't phase the governor um, who has her own agenda, whatever it may be. So I, I'm very concerned about that coming from a medical family of my own. I'm not here to tell somebody who doesn't want to get vaccinated or they don't believe they should be. If, if that's your choice, that's your choice. Nevertheless, it's important to go back to the understanding that how this originated was somewhere along the line in Wuhan or wherever it was in China, one person coming down with something who gave it to somebody else, who gave it to somebody else, who gave it to somebody else. I mean, if you've, if you've ever seen the movie Contagion, um, directed by Stephen Sondheim, uh, that's, I'm not saying that's the exact way this happens, um, but um, there have been other movies, again, the same kind of thing, whether it's Ebola, the different uh, MERS virus and so on, or even with flus, somewhere along the line, somebody picks this thing up and then inadvertently gives it to somebody else. And, and very often by the time we hear about it, we see all these people have come down with something. So we make an assumption, oh, look at all these people who came down with it. But somewhere along the line, particularly with this COVID, it either originated in a market, someone with an animal, killing an animal or whatever it was getting infected and or it was in a lab or both. That's not impossible that there could be something released from a lab. The person then goes to the market or something happens at the market and then that person winds up working in the lab and then spreads it in the lab. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be either or. You know, I know that's where we're focused. Oh, it was definitely had to have happened in the lab and it was manufactured, so to speak, and all these kind of evil ideas. Maybe that's going to be how it how it's found out. Maybe we'll never know. But it's also possible because in particular where the lab is, is not that far from one of those markets where they're saying that's where it came. So it could be both of those things and multiple individuals after the first person gets it, because that's when we saw the images coming from China and they were trying to hide everything. Um, if you go back to the very beginning and some of the documentaries that were shown, I mean, talk about what was being repressed in China. And then we have all the issues. And I have 13 different podcasts about the coronavirus and astrology, if you look back there. And in several of them, and I saw when I was reviewing to get started with this, in a couple of them, I'm focused on Sedna, Eris, and Chiron in some of those coronavirus and astrology podcasts. So you may want to go back there, aside from some of the other ones. Uh, I mentioned the Astro Meteorology podcast that has Juno and Mercury in there. And, uh, of course, the first 17 podcasts that I started with were all about Pallas Athena in particular. And then there were one or two, I think it's uh, parts five and six of the coronavirus, where I'm actually reading from Eleanor Bach about Pallas Athena and the immune system. So, And, and by the way, one other thing, at one point I released... Uh, it's somewhere podcast 30 or so, 38, 39, 39 or 40 possibly. Um, well, that was where the Sedna, Eris, and Chiron in the coronavirus. But I also released 
from my School of Planetary Studies, which is 36 classes that are available also on the website if you want to learn astrology, which is now discounted, started back in 1985 on uh, cassette tapes with a group of students, then it became uh, CDs, and then my daughter Katya created it online through MP3 files, and so it's, it's one-hour lessons that you can listen to, then there are notes and there are charts. Well, I decided to release both medical astrology and the asteroid um, astrology, which are each one hour from the advanced series. They're actually available uh, in the podcast without even having to join the school. And so um, there's a whole other hour about the power of the asteroids that's in Mark Lerner Astrology Radio uh, Astroscope back on greatbearenterprise.com. Okay. Uh, the other thing as a reminder, okay, so you want to go to our website. There's not just the three-in-one um, super energized 2021-2022, these three reports that are at the $89 price, Sky Within, Numerology, and the One Year Skylog. We're now adding the more goddess feminine one of Just for Women, a natal report, four asteroids and Chiron natal report, and a One Year Skylog for the same price. So look for that. That could be one way of getting into all this without having to join classes. If you want to join the classes, again, that would be great to learn 36 one-hour lessons, beginner, beginner, uh, intermediate, and advanced astrology, learning from so many great astrologers, including Eleanor Bach, Dane Rudger, Dr. Mark Edmund Jones, Charles Carter, and so many others. Plenty of charts, plenty of lesson notes. Um, so the other thing, of course, is my daughter was able to create um, the, the cosmic calendar that people have been subscribing to that I've done for 40 years now, the 40th anniversary of the cosmic calendar. That was at the center of Welcome to Planet Earth as a newspaper and as a magazine in the 80s and 90s. But after we ended that in the year 2000, 2001, for the last 20 years, the, the daily cosmic calendar, people have been subscribing to it. In the last year and a half, my daughter created an app that you can have if you have iOS or Android, and it's free one day at a time. Or if you subscribe, which is pennies a day, as we would say, you can then go three to four weeks into the future, sometimes up to five weeks. Right now, for instance, it's July the 20th. And the cosmic calendar goes to August 17th. So that's um, almost four weeks into the future. And um, therefore, and that's by subscription. So it's not very expensive to do. It's called Astrology Cosmic Calendar with a K. And when you go to wherever you get your apps, you will see the Great Bear. You'll see the seven stars of the Big Dipper. You'll see a full moon. You'll see a bear. That shows you that that's definitely who we are. And then you wind up using your your uh, uh, email address, you create a password, and you have it free one day at a time, which is great. But if you want to get into tomorrow, to next week, two weeks, three weeks, to, to, to be able to see what is going on in the sky. So as I've always said, we are all walking cosmic calendars. People often will think, well, why would I have to get the cosmic calendar to know about new moons, full moons, you know, alignments of Venus and Jupiter, trine, sextiles, you know, stations, retrogrades. Why do I need to know all of that? That's not me. That's not my transits. That my, that's not my chart. That's not my progressions. Well, guess what? It is because each one of us, as we're interrelating to one another, 
uh, all your most powerful relationships in your life to your loved ones, to your friends, to the people at work and so on. Each of us, our own individual charts was the, the cosmic calendar, the sky cycles at that moment that we took our first breath. So each one of us is kind of in our in our mission statements, I believe each one of us is a soul and a spirit and we're here on a mission to hopefully fulfill different kinds of activities in this particular incarnation that we've lived before, we will live again um, and have different experiences the next time around that we had the last time. So the thing is the astrology cosmic calendar allows us to be able to tune in every single day to what is going on in the sky and there are all kind of resonances whether it has to do with the four main asteroids, chirons, new moons, full moons, for instance, each of us is born at a phase of the moon. Well, 13 times in a year, the phase is going to repeat. If you're born at a full moon, there's 13 full moons in a year. And even if the full moon is not in your sun sign or moon sign, every full moon, if you're born at a full moon, you will feel that resonance. If you're born at a first quarter moon or a last quarter moon, you want to know about when the first quarter moon or the last quarter moon is happening. If you're born when the sun and moon are trying, and the sun moon trine is waxing or it's or waning or you're born when the moon is with venus every single year there's going to be 13 moon venus conjunctions 13 moon venus oppositions 13 moon oh, well there's actually 26 moon venus trines depending on whether it's um, separating or applying so there are dozens and dozens of alignments that are ongoing with the cosmic calendar and the more you know about your own chart the more the cosmic calendar can be really useful. But the reason I'm promoting it at this point is that it has the four main asteroids. It has Chiron in there. Once in a while, I will talk about Sedna or Eris. Um, so those are all available in there. And then I'm also doing more work with my consultations. There's five different kinds that I do for individuals. And uh, you can look into that section. It's called tel Telephone Consultations in the Astrology Shop. But all the charts that I give out, I always give out complimentary chart wheels if you order any consultation for 45 minutes, an hour, two hours, an uh, hour and a half, whatever consultation you order, the, the night before you always get complimentary chart wheels, your natal horoscope wheel, uh, what we call the bi-wheel, transits, uh, or if it's your birthday time, a solar return chart relative to the natal chart. So those are all the wheels themselves, and of course the session you order and decide whatever you want. Now, um, so let's plunge in here. I did all my promoting that I wanted to do. I might refer to some of this again, and I've been able to give you some of these stories that I was downloading just to give you an example. So what I, what I want you to understand is that normally every single planet wants to live up to a high level if we can pull it off, but it's not very easy to be able to do that in our individual charts or relative to new moons and full moons. So, for instance, there's the complimentary section called Global Hotspots on, welcome, on um, GreatBearEnterprises.com. And that, that's where I will share a world chart, also the chart for the United States uh, in Washington, D.C., that has the exact full moon or new moon. I'm working on one of those right now for um, the full moon that's going to happen uh, coming up in a couple of days on July 23rd, in the, uh, where the sun is in the beginning of Leo and the moon is in the beginning of Aquarius. So, for instance, the moon... Uh, at this next full moon is going to be, actually be conjunct Shariklo. Well, who or what is Shariklo? That's the companion to Chiron. Chiron was discovered back in 1977, has an orbit of approximately 49 to 15 year, 50 years. I've studied and worked with Chiron a whole lot, as have so many of my fellow astrologers working on Welcome Planet Earth. I did a whole podcast. It's about your chirological cycles. It was from 
a cover story I did with Welcome to Planet Earth. And I've shared a lot about Chiron, particularly in the Earth Aquarius News section of that's complimentary of the website, my story about John F. Kennedy, The Wound That Never Heals, America's Turning Point of the 20th Century, all about the fact that when President Kennedy was murdered on November 22, 1963, lo and behold, Chiron was completely motionless and therefore incredibly powerful. And one of the, the energies of Chiron, aside from being connected to rainbow bridges and spirituality, shamans and mentors and guides, uh, keys that open doors to higher consciousness and healing on so many different levels, holistic healing um, and, and holistic techniques, uh, alternative medicine, is that Chiron is very connected to what we call the twilight zone. And in fact, I did a whole research on Rod Serling, who happened to be born in 1924, when Chiron came back into its position in the United States chart at 20 of Aries, and he lit, he's the one who created the Twilight Zone show, and he lived exactly a Chiron cycle of 50 years. And when Chiron came back in his chart, which was also the United States Chiron, he died. And so we often find these kind of anomalies. For instance, Sir William Herschel, who discovered Uranus, March 13, 1781, Uranus, although it's often said has an 84-year cycle, it's actually closer to 83 and three quarters uh, years is a Uranus cycle. Well, guess what, Sir William Herschel, how long did he live? 83 and three quarters, and then he died. What are the odds? Again, this is not coincidence or accident. This has to do with synchronicity. The person who discovers Uranus, which has an 83 and three quarter year cycle, lives to be 83 and three quarter years. I mean, you can't make this up. There's something magical and rather oracular and uh, extraordinary about that. Anyway, so now the be all and end all, why am I doing this? Why am I sharing about this? And why am I concerned? Because what happened was, is that we, it's very hard to plot Sedna, how fast it's moving. As I said, it has an 11,400 year orbit. We're just beginning to learn more and more about Sedna. I see it as kind of a Persephone of the, of the depths of the ocean, just as Persephone in mythology, said to be the daughter of Ceres, kidnapped by Pluto, became queen of the underworld, Persephone, in an, as an archetype, represents kind of the vegetation of the earth at the, at the end of the fall into the winter season, particularly in the northern hemisphere where the myth arose. Persephone, as the daughter of Ceres, the earth mother, represents the barrenness of the land, the fact that, that nature goes inward and hibernates in a way. So this is part of what is considered the Eleusinian mysteries and uh, very famous in the area of Delphi, uh, Greece, and so, so on. Well, when, when Sedna was discovered, a lot of the mythology is sort of similar, but it's not taking place under the earth. It's taking place in the depths of the ocean, in the frozen depths of the ocean. You can read more about it. Again, uh, an article that I wrote back in January of 2017, when Donald Trump became president, and I, I, it's still in Earth Aquarius News, it, it's basically called Eris on Sedna uh, at, the, at the Trump inaugural from January 20th, 19th. 2017. The amazing thing was these slow-moving planets, Sedna discovered November of 2003, Eris discovered January of 2005, 13 months later, turned out that exactly when, uh, not just Trump, but uh, Donald Trump, but Mike Pence, when they both took the oath of office January 20th, 19, uh, 2017, um, Eris was exactly on top of Sedna for Donald Trump. No orb, meaning not a half a degree away, not a quarter of a degree away, exactly there. But it wasn't just him, because he was born in, in June of 1946. Every single person on the face of the earth born 
right after World War II, including myself born in 1950, but everyone born in 1946, 47, 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53. We're all having this wave of Eris on top of our sednas. And this is part of this revolution. It's part of climate change. It's part of, it's, it's two outer planets. Eris as a 560 or 560 some odd year cycle, twice as far away as Pluto is. Now I'm not focused right now on Eris in this particular podcast, but it's very powerful as well. And it moves very, very slowly. So what happened was, is that I'm doing the cosmic calendar for July a couple of weeks ago and I'm getting it all ready. And then I notice when I'm doing one of the full moons and so on, well, wait a minute, Ceres and Sedna are closing in. So I did some extra research and I discovered on July 28th, and this is around nine o'clock in the morning on the East Coast. So, so I put out a chart. There's a chart again in the folder here for uh, Podcast 84 at Great Bear Enterprises. Series conjunct Sedna number one, July 28th, 2021, using approximately 9 a.m. Now, is it exactly 9 a.m.? No, it isn't because Sedna moves so slowly. So one could do a chart for 8.30 a.m. or 8 a.m. or 9.30 or 10, but it is within a couple of hours of that time. And so in the chart, and this is happening as we're approaching, this is only going to happen eight days from today. Ceres and Sedna are together. Now, where are they together? They're in the last degree of Taurus. Part of the reason I'm bringing this up is, well, what's at the end of Taurus? This is where the Pleiades are, the seven sisters, sometimes called the seven weeping sisters. Get in my work before I went to uh, Findhorn in 1976 for seven years, several years and became a member. I was working at what's called the Arcane School, which is connected to the Alice A. Bailey teachings, which is Lucis Publishing and Lucis Trust. I've shared with you, they have all kinds of extraordinary teachings. There's a lot of stuff that's available for free on their, on their website. Lucis, L-U-C-I-S, Trust, T-R-U-S-T dot org, O-R-G. Um, so a lot of free literature that you can get, a lot of incredible books, a lot of esoteric learning about what's called the seven rays and esoteric astrology, esoteric healing, a treatise on cosmic fire, um, a treatise on white magic, all kinds of things, over two dozen books. Now, they're not going to necessarily talk to you about Ceres or Sedna, but there's a, a lot about, for instance, my business is called Great, Great Bear Enterprises, and it is connected to the seven stars of the Great Bear, the Big Dipper. And an esoteric... Um, in the esoteric field, particularly connected to where I work there in New York at the Arcane School, Lucis Publishing and Lucis Trust, they work a lot in a lot of the esoteric astrology with the seven stars of the Great Bear, the seven weeping sisters or the seven sisters of the Pleiades, which is in the end of Taurus, okay? And then the, it's actually a double star system, may even be a triple star system, Sirius, the dog star which is the brightest star in the sky, so connected to ancient Egypt and Osiris, Isis, and Horus, and so many of these different themes. If you ever watch um, Ancient Aliens and that whole series on the History Channel and see so much about ancient Egypt and Stonehenge and Machu Picchu and all these different areas and UFOs and ETs, the Great Pyramid and so on. So when I saw this, I saw, well, wait a minute, let me track this down and give it out to the public. Is That's what I'm doing now. Ceres and Sedna, just so you know, July 28th. And, and then we can just see what, who knows what's going to happen on July 28th. 
but they're together and and they're going to come back together on january 4th okay because series is going to eventually go retrograde later this year and then they'll come back in another con conjunction series and sedna at 28 plus of taurus slightly different the, the one that that's happening july 28th is 29 plus of taurus and it's said that there's a star, one of the stars of the Pleiades, Alcyone or Alcyone, I don't have the pronunciation perfect, it's one of those two, is part of the Seven Sisters. Now, so many books and so many teachings have been about the Pleiades of life and ETs and UFOs and, and telepathy and changes on the earth and all kinds of, um, who knows, you know, connections between our earth and ancient cultures and Atlantis and Lemurian going back in time, ancient aliens, you know, Eric von Daniken, chariots of the gods, and so on. Again, all these years, it's like 15 or 16 years now of ancient aliens and UFOs and ETs, particularly on the History Channel, which I advise everybody to listen to. So what I, I wanted you to have the chart, at least the approximate chart, which is accurate within about an hour, an hour and a half either way. So I put it out for 9 a.m. July 28th, 2021. This is the first of three. Now, the important thing is when there are three conjunctions of something, okay, for instance, in, in one of the recent podcasts about Neptune going opposite the United States Neptune, I gave information out, Neptune has already started to oppose our Neptune, and Neptune has a cycle of 165 years. So the last time Neptune was opposing the United States Neptune from July 4th, 1776 was back in 1857, 1858, right before the Civil War if that rings a bell, and now with our political divide and worries about the split in our country, we have the same exact Neptune cycle that was afflicting our country right before Abraham Lincoln became president, and then the South, all those states seceded, and the Civil War was on. Now, we have fears of a new kind of civil war, this psychic split in our country between the Republicans and Democrats, or the different phases of the party, the progressive wing of, of the Democrats, and the more extreme um, of the right wing on the Republican side, and never the twain shall meet, so to speak, at the current time, a lot of fears. So one of the things that I was thinking here is that, see, Ceres is the mother energy of the four main asteroids. If you think of the four main asteroids, and this is not to knock other asteroids and centaurs and other faraway planets, but when Eleanor Bach did her research and the other main researchers about the four main asteroids, they noticed that the goddess energies are the four main functions of the feminine function. So Ceres is the mothering function. The second of the asteroids discovered, Pallas Athena, is the daughter archetype. Juno, the third asteroid discovered, is more of the partner or the wife to a husband in marriage. And so marriage archetype. And then Vesta is the sister archetype. So four main functions by which women, mothering, being a daughter, being a spouse or a partner to whoever you're with doesn't, of course, in our culture now, it could be two women together, two, it could be two men together and so on. So it, it, everything changes now in our modern culture. But And then uh, Vesta is the sister archetype. Well, fundamentally, these four main asteroids, they we know that Venus is still an overarching as well as the moon. These are two very prominent feminine goddess energies. But these four other ones give a whole nuance to these different functions by which the feminine by women and for men in terms as we know from Carl Jung that each each man has his his anima or his inner feminine just like each woman has 
has her inner masculine or the animus and that at least I believe that's a true energy. So whatever sexual side that we manifest or gender side in our physical body, we still have this other archetype inside of us. So we've got a whole host of the masculine planets that have been out there for dec you know, well, millennia. Now at least we have more of the feminine bodies to balance everything out. So what we've got here is we've got Mother Earth and Mother Nature connected to Sedna, this archetype that is somehow a kind of Persephone of the depths of the ocean. And these movies that came out, and some of them are cartoons about Frozen, because Sedna is a goddess of incredible power who sort of through her mythology as she's kind of thrown overboard by her, her father into the oceans to, to basically die, doesn't die, but she is reborn as a great goddess of incredible power. And her power comes from the depths of the ocean. So it seems to me that um, Sedna definitely is connected to Neptune and Poseidon and oceans and seas and water. So that's something that's very important. And the fact that Sedna has an 11,400 year orbit, also because it's so far away, it's one of the representations of why it would have to do, because it's so far away from the sun and the earth, that it would represent kind of the cold, dis distant areas of the outer part of the solar system. Whereas Ceres, well, we don't know, we're knowing more about it um, because of, of the Dawn spacecraft that went to both Vesta and Ceres. So we know a lot more about Sedna and, and its actual conditions. Supposedly there is still an ocean on Ceres. And I've done so many articles Again, I'll be going to reading, be reading from the series Mystery, connected to George Lucas and Alderaan and Star Wars. And again, there's a whole series of podcasts. I think it's podcast 28, 29, 30, which I put out. It was right before um, Kobe Bryant uh, died with his daughter and those other people in the helicopter crash. And that's right before COVID came out. So I, I re-ran these articles that I'd written on George Lucas. And of course, in the first Star Wars movie where... Um, the planet Alderaan is destroyed by the Death Star. Um, any rate, you can, I don't want to go into the whole thing, but that's actually connected to Ceres um, as a planet or as a former protoplanet potentially in our solar system that may have been destroyed eons ago, or at least the, 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 the sense that there's something wrong in our asteroid belt where there should be a planet, and Ceres is exactly orbiting where there should be a planet, and it is the largest of the of the asteroid bodies in the asteroid belt, which is hundreds of smaller bodies. It's not just the four main asteroids, but there are others. The other thing is, here's what's really astounding about the series Sedna conjunction. So not only is it bringing in the Pleiades three times, okay, not only on July 28th, but when they come back on January 4th of next year, and then January 23rd, so there's three times they're going to be together at the end of Taurus, which connects up to the Pleiades, which has an esoteric connection, has a UFO connection. It has an ancient alien connection. It goes back thousands and thousands of years to different seeding of life on our planet. So many different uh, books and stories about the Pleiades and what may have um, been planted here on Earth in terms of life and connections that we still have telepathically and spiritually. Now, the amazing thing about this chart, I mean, there's a lot you could study. I I'm not going to go into all of it, but, but here's the astounding thing. Ceres and Sedna are 29 degrees of Taurus in 10 minutes. So you'll see the numbers 29 there and then the Taurus symbol in 10. Well, if you look in the 12th house of this chart, you look at Mars, the circle with the arrow coming off of it, 29 degrees Leo in 11 minutes. 
That means the Ceres-Sedna conjunction is exactly square to Mars, which can represent all kinds of volatility. And it is a square of 90 degrees. It's not exactly um, a friendly relationship, at least to most people in terms of astrology. So on that particular day, uh, and I think I wrote this up in the cosmic calendar for July 28th, I'm, I'm reporting Ceres and Mars are in a square pattern. But Ceres is with Sedna, this faraway planet, and, and they're hardly moving at all. And then Jupiter has, has been retrograding recently. Remember, Jupiter, I mentioned at the start of this podcast, was exactly rising. Good old Jupiter, the largest planet, is, is opposite the Mars and squaring the Ceres and the Sedna at 29 plus of Aquarius. Now, that's, it's, it, that's accurate within um, about two-thirds, approximately two-thirds of a degree. The point is, is what we have now is a series said in a conjunction, which most, there may be many astrologers who are not talking about it at all. If they're not focused on the cosmic calendar like I focus and haven't done the research, somebody might point out, oh, Ceres and Sedna together. But are they also going to point out that they're almost exactly squaring Mars and, and Jupiter and that Mars and Jupiter are moving into an opposition? So that's an enormously powerful configuration. I'm not here to say, oh, I know what's going to happen. I just want you to be aware this is an extraordinary kind of thing that's going on. So again, they will meet together uh, in January 4th, uh, almost in the same spot, and then they'll come together, and this is very important, January 23rd of 2022. But guess what? At that point, not only will Ceres and Sedna meet together for the third time, but the nodes of the moon will be there. The north node of the moon in particular, which is considered usually more dharmic than karmic. I mean, in tradition, I mean, the nodes have been studied for hundreds of years. I do believe that some of that terminology needs to be updated. Normally, the North Node is considered positive or Jupiterian and auspicious, and the South Node is considered Saturnian and more challenging and difficult. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think it needs to be updated and looked at in a new way. But the point is, we're, we're having Ceres and Sedna together. When they first come together, which is the, the beginning of this triple conjunction, lo and behold, Mars and Jupiter are involved. It's enormously significant. And again, the Pleiades are coming into play here. By the time the third one happens in January, then we get the fate destiny points of the nodes being involved. So you'll see the chart for Ceres and Sedna. As time goes on uh, later in the year, depending on what does happen in late July, th there can be a lot of events that I think will be related around July 28th. I'm not saying it has to be all on that day. It could be a couple of days before, the day itself, several days uh, after. That whole late July time period is very powerful because here's the thing. Later in that day and the day after, it's not as if Ceres is going to take off like the moon and move really far away. They're still going to be together like the day before, the day before that, the, July 29th, July 30th, July 31. Ceres and Sedna are hanging out together and they're going to do the same thing almost all of January, in fact, of 2022. Uh, they'll be together. And then at that third one around the, the 22nd of, uh, what did I say, January 23rd and a couple of days before and a few days thereafter, including the whole end of January, even to beginning of February of 2022, um, Ceres, Sedna together, and the nodes. And by the way, that's going to lead to Pluto coming back in February of 2022 for the first of three exact returns in the United States birth chart. So you know, if you go back to some of these podcasts I did, that Neptune is opposing our Neptune this year three times 
well, actually twice this year and into March of next year. But by February of next year, we start having Pluto come back to 28 of Capricorn, where it was July 4th of 1776. And we're going to move from strictly Neptune influencing its own position, as well as squaring our Mars from July 4th, 1776. That's what's going on in our country this year. And, and that is definitely happening with so many of our political and social um, events that are going on and all the all the divisions that are going on, the anger and um, all these different issues about um, the viruses and how real they are and questions about schooling and what we're going to do and the economy and people losing jobs and so many other things. So now the other charts that are here, I just wanted to make sure I presented them. Okay, the, what I said earlier is what I find fascinating is I've, there's a discovery of series January 1 of 1801. I'm using eight o'clock at night. Now, I don't know for sure that it, it was exactly at eight o'clock, but you'll see that it was definitely in the evening that this happened. And you'll see series, the backward C with the cross under it at, toward the top, uh, elevated at 23 plus of Taurus. Again, that's the sun for uh, George Lucas. And so when you get into stuff I did with Star Wars and George Lucas, which is a big thing that I did in the magazine and then became podcasts, uh, three different podcasts back at the end of 2019, if you want to go in there in the Mark Lerner Astrology radio podcast section to explore all that. turns out George Lucas's son is on the discovery point of Ceres. And again, I'm equating Ceres with Alderaan in the first Star Wars, and that's not a hypothesis. What I'm saying is George Lucas definitely tuned in in the Star Wars series to the destruction of a planet in our solar system a long time ago, as he would say, in a galaxy far, far, uh, far ago. What do you say? Well, in the beginning of Star Wars, when you see the words in the credits, you know, and it says in a galaxy a long time ago, and then you read everything there. So what I'm saying is he tapped into kind of a collective consciousness memory of something going on in our, our own solar system. And he's not the only one. The late Tom Van Flanderen, um, you could look up the exploding planet hypothesis in Google or Safari and, and read Wikipedia and the name Tom Van Flanderen is going to come up. I talked to him as well uh, as with uh, Richard Hoagland, who wrote about the face on Mars years ago when I was doing Welcome to Planet Earth. And because I was really intrigued about the exploding planet hypothesis that he in particular, this um, this researcher, Tom Van Flanderen, now he's passed away. But again, um, I'm just putting out the name so you can do your own research and get into some of that and then connect it up to Ceres and the asteroids. And, you know, what are the origins of the asteroids? Was there one planet there that then exploded a long time ago, as in the George Lucas kind of mythology? Or as some uh, astronomers and physicists believe, well, maybe they never that that area never congealed that due to the size of jupiter and the formation of the solar system there never was a planet my sense is there was but i but i don't think anybody's going to be able to prove it anytime soon maybe in a few thousand years so there's the discovery of series january 1 1801 in palermo italy using eight o'clock at night the other chart is discovery of sedna november 14 2003 using a 6 33 a.m in san diego which i believe is a chart that researchers who were working on the discovery of Sedna, that's not, you, you'll see um, Sedna there in the sixth house of that chart with the letters S-E-D as an abbreviation. You'll see Sedna was at 17 plus of Taurus when it was discovered. And just like Pluto, which was not discovered by sight, 
because it was far away, was discovered on photographic plates when, when uh, Pluto was announced to the public, which was March the 13th of 1930. It had actually been discovered on photographic plates on February 18th of 1930 at about four o'clock in the afternoon in the mountainous town of Flagstaff, Arizona. So the guy who discovered that, who was named uh, Comet Clyde Tomboy, he was a, he was a young kind of neophyte, he found it by comparing photographic plates of that part of the heavens. It turned out Pluto was actually discovered at 17 plus degrees of the sign Cancer. In the last podcast I did, having to do with UFOs, the nuclear agenda, and the summit between uh, Putin and, and Biden, I read from what I wrote, one of my master areas was from 38 plus years ago about atomic energy and nuclear energy, and I shared a lot about Pluto and its discovery back uh, on March 13, 1781, from photographic plates. So the same thing with Sedna, the November 14, 2003 chart that I'm using at San Diego, it was a team of, of astronomers, 6.33 in the, in the morning was probably when they discovered the plates that they had been using in that part. And somebody said, you know, Eureka, uh, we, there's a planet there. And so that's why that time is given. So I, at this point, I don't want to get into all the dynamics of, of what is going on in these charts. I'm just making them available so that you have the discovery chart of Sirius, discovery of Sedna. But I think it is very intriguing, just in terms of resonance, that I'm bringing up to your attention and other people that Sirius and Sedna are coming together three times, and they're coming together in the area of the seven sisters of the Pleiades and the third time they come together in January of next year when Pluto is going to be knocking on the door of, of returning for the United States and we're still within Neptune going opposite our Neptune in this country and Neptune also squaring our Mars and rekindling all of these dangerous events from the late 1850s leading to the Civil War and then we're going to have Pluto come back starting in February of next year and then two more times that year and by the way in the fall of 2023 we're still going to have neptune coming back to its own discovery point but as a lead-in we have this other thing happening with asteroids my goodness the largest asteroid series with another feminine goddess that has an 11,400 year orbit they just happen to be coming together with the pleiades the seven sisters with all of that spirituality and all that history and all that metaphysics and magic that they just happen to come together in the prelude right before Pluto comes back. And Pluto, remember, is connected to Persephone, uh, the queen of the underworld, who is the daughter of Ceres in that mythology. And now we have Sedna, who I, I see as a kind of um, a queen of the underwater realm, connected a lot to Neptune and Poseidon. So now you got that and that Ceres discovery in Taurus, at 23 degrees, 23 plus, Sedna discovered some, let's see, let's see, 202 years later, 200, almost 203 years after the discovery of Ceres, Sedna is discovered far out in space, just happens to be in Taurus as well, within six degrees of Ceres position. And now I'm reporting that they're coming together as we're going through so many of these crises. That is not an accident. That is a synchronicity. Now, the other more... Before we go on to mentioning Eleanor Bach's chart and my reading from that uh, particular article from 24 years ago, here, here's some more stuff for you, okay? So there's, there's a lot more to this whole story, and I'll try and be brief here. But the reason I call this asteroid apocalypse is because, okay, let's start 
um, in January of this year and I'll go to January of next year. So I, with one of my software programs, I can just list asteroids and when they're making stations or they're going conjunction to each other opposite. So in order to validate kind of that, I feel all four asteroids are part of this apocalyptic story of floods and fires and all kinds of things. The first, the first one was Vesta on January 19th. And that's very significant about Vesta. Vesta, the sister archetype has a lot to do with safety and security among many other principles. And there's a whole podcast I did called the Vesta Covenant because the shadow side of Vesta, because it represents fire and the eternal flame of ancient temples is all connected to the Nazis, to book burning, to Nuremberg, to all those rallies, to the horrific crematoriums and everything else. So unfortunately, I've already done that story a couple of decades ago in Welcome to Planet Earth. So what happened was on the day before the inauguration of Biden and Harris, Vesta just happened to make a station in our Zodiac at 21 Virgo 24. That's where it stopped, 21 degrees of Virgo in 24 minutes. Well, why is that significant? A, the Biden-Harris administration, which starts during a void moon. In the next podcast, I'm planning to talk about void moons, and we did a whole cover story on that. And I want to, want to get into the presidency, different presidencies, which I've already shared in certain of the podcasts about when JFK was president, there was a void moon. Roosevelt's first, uh, sorry, Franklin Roosevelt's last uh, administration there was a void moon. Nixon, when he went down with Watergate, had a void moon at his inauguration. Clinton's second inauguration, when the Monica Lewinsky scandal came up, was another void moon. And even Barack Obama and Joe Biden in 2009, that was a void moon, an extreme void moon at 30 of Scorpio. Well, we just had another void moon presidency started January 20th, and the moon was at 30 degrees of Aries. Again, think about that, a fire sign? What have, been, what have we been plagued with, particularly with the excessive heat last year and now again on the Pacific coast this year. So the moon was at 30 degrees of Aries. We're going to get into that next time. And there was a Mars-Uranus conjunction on the day that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris took the oath of office. So we're going to get into what does it mean to have a void moon positively or negatively. So some of it could be positive, but a lot of it can be challenging to say the least. It turned out that just as they were taking the oath, one of the asteroids stopped to go retrograde. But when it stopped, it was exactly within two minutes of arc square to Mars when the United States came into being July 4th, 1776. When you study mundane or earth astrology, the, the, the astrology of capitals and inaugurations and things that are political or governmental and states of the union, all these other things that I've been doing, I do all so many charts, thousands of charts for individuals over 50 years, nearly 50 years, and dozens and hundreds and research articles about governments and world leaders and so on. So I took notice that Vesta on January the 19th was not moving, therefore safety security issues because of the virus in particular, but also the administration and the division in the country. That's a dangerous kind of a thing for the asteroid Vesta to not be moving. Anytime a planet is stationary, it's not so much the retrograde necessarily, but the fact that it stopped. Okay, when something is not moving, it, it's heightened for good or for ill. It's like a laser beam of intensity 
where the archetypes of that celestial body, in this case Vesta, one of the four main asteroids, all of its archetypes, for good or for ill, or both, are going to be uh, intensified. So Virgo is also a sign of the little things as well that could go wrong or right, that if you don't have things in industry or in business or machinery, one bolt, I mean, look what happened with the Challenger explosion and so on. I mean, with airplanes, with other kinds of things, mechanical difficulties with cars, cars breaking down, you know, so many different things that we know of equipment failures and things like that. So Vesta has a lot to do with all the little things and being meticulous and being careful and being efficient and being organized, but it also has a lot to do uh, with being of service as well. But in this case, Vesta is very, very prominent and it, it went retrograde as the new administration came into being under a void moon that was in the last degree of Aries, a fire sign, when Mars and Uranus, Mars being a planet, having a lot to do with fire as well. But Vesta as an archetype, if we're going to say of the four main asteroids, which of the four relates mostly to fire? Absolutely, it's Vesta. She has a lot to do with kitchens, with chimneys, uh, uh, home and hearth, the fires burning in the home that keeps the home uh, warm. Again, she represented um, the, the eternal flame. Okay, so John of Kennedy's, um, uh, where he's buried, at Arlington Cemetery, where I've been there twice, again, Jackie Kennedy created an eternal flame. And Vesta was very prominent at the time that he he died. I uh, don't want to get into all of that, but um, its position was very prominent. Well, then on April 20th, Vesta went, went direct. And so uh, at six plus a Virgo. So what I wrote down here in my research is Vesta... Um, was focused in the earth sign. Okay, so that's the big thing. Vesta this year, a fire principle influencing earth. So if you think about the fires out west in particular, as well as British Columbia, now I mentioned Siberia and other places around the earth being scorched and whatever may happen, you know, we haven't even hit the latter part of July or August, so we don't know what's going to be going on uh, when we get into the more extremes of the summer. So Vesta, a fire principle of the four main asteroids in an Earth sign. So you can you can see where I'm going there and why I'm mentioning it. Then Juno, um, what's interesting about Juno, I mean, there's many things, is that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, like them or not, they have the same Juno. Okay, and Joe Biden is a sun sign Scorpio, born November the 20th, the same day as Robert Kennedy, but 17 years later, November 20th of 1942. And then Kamala Harris is born um, October 20th of 1964. Now that's how many years different? Uh, 22 years from 1942 to 1964. So Joe Biden is 22 years older than Kamala Harris. And they have the same Juno, okay, within one degree of each other. And that's where Juno is this year going back and forth. So they're, all, they're both having Juno returns. And Juno is in the fire sign of Sagittarius where it went retrograde on April the 12th, and Juno is going to go direct on August 2nd, which is just around the corner. So we're right in the midst of the Juno energy in a fire sign, right? Juno, an asteroid, peace and harmony, empowerment in relationship, beauty, fashion, design. There's many different wonderful qualities of Juno, but when it's negative, it's the smallest of the four main asteroids. It can represent anger, and terrorism by the weak. When we think of the terrorists either in other countries, cybercrime, 
um, the other things we've had to deal with, with 911 and so many other things. So Juno often represents whoever feels belittled and small and often terrorism comes out of individuals or groups or communities or even parts of nations where they feel they need to break off because the majority is not allowing them to express themselves. So Juno stopped on April 12th, which itself is a very significant day. That's when Franklin Roosevelt uh, died of a cerebral hemorrhage and Harry Truman became president in 1945. Some of these dates are very archetypal. It's also when the Civil War began, when uh, South, um, South Carolina seceded and bombed a Fort Sumter. That's April 12th. So Juno stopped at 24 Sagittarius, which is not far from the galactic center, which is the center of the galaxy as we look out, that's around 27 of Sagittarius, the galactic center. So Juno again stopping in a fire sign, and then it's going to stop again in a fire sign August 2nd. And now I just said that Ceres and Sedna are coming for the first of three conjunctions on July 28th. Well, on August 2nd, they're still going to be very close together. In the end of Taurus, a series will have just gone into or just going into Gemini as August begins. Um, but that's still very close to Sedna. And again, as I said before, uh, in that particular chart for July 28th, Mars is squaring almost exactly series and Sedna. Jupiter is on the other side of the zodiac opposite Mars, and there's a what we call a T square. So watch out for the August 2nd um, station of Juno that will affect certainly the, the end of July, the beginning of August. The other thing, which I always write about in Global Hotspots and with the Cosmic Calendar, is that J Juno can represent storms in the atmosphere, literal storms, like what we're hearing about with the bootleg fire in Oregon, what's happening in Siberia, particularly out west here. These enormous fires are creating their own weather conditions. They're creating lightning strikes and all kinds of things you're seeing on you know weather reports, like the meteorologists are like contortionists, and they're saying, well, wow, here, here's what's happening. The intensity on the ground is creating its own weather and then lightning is going up in the air and this is happening and then it sparks all these things. Right now in this fire that has consumed like over 300,000 acres in southeastern Oregon, um, finally, after so many days, I was wondering, well, aren't they going to call for reinforcements? I mean, hopefully people are being aware of it. I mean, it's the state I'm living in. And uh, finally, it's like, oh, yeah, now we're getting people from Nevada, we're getting people from Missouri, we're getting people from all kinds of states with all kinds of extra equipment. For many days, it's this, this particular fire started July 6th, and it's now two weeks later. And originally, it was contained not at all. Now, they're supposedly contained by about a quarter, 25%, but it's growing by leaps and bounds, and they're reporting that it may not actually be controlled for months so that's an enormous amount of people, and they get very exhausted. They're not paid very much. It's just an enormous process. Um, if you're not living in the area, then you're not focused. But people losing their homes, they're losing their lives. And of course, these drought conditions make everything even worse for every future season, unless we get more snow in particular. It's not just rain that's needed. It's actually snow in the mountains, as they're saying. Okay, so that takes care of Vesta, um, a fire principle in Virgo, and now Juno, which has a lot to do with empowerment or disempowerment, whether it's positive or negative, normally peace and harmony in relationship. But again, as the smallest of the four main asteroids can have a lot to do with terrorism and also uh, violent storms, whether created by fires themselves or in the atmosphere. Again, the east coast of the United States, the southeast, 
uh, parts of Texas, southern areas, the northeast, they've been plagued by enormous amounts of flooding. Germany has been hit by unbelievable amounts of flooding. By the way, last week when Pallas Athena uh, in Pisces stopped on July 14th, and then the next day Chiron stopped in Aries, it was kind of a 48-hour time period. Now they're reporting that it was right at that time when Pallas Athena stopped in the sky and went retrograde and Chiron stopped in the sky. That was in both Pisces for Pallas Athena, a water sign, and Aries, the first fire sign, was the, was the time when those floods were hitting Germany, not just Germany, Belgium was hit, uh, Holland, the Netherlands was hit, and some of those images were just extraordinary. And you might have seen a few weeks ago, there was this horrific flood um, in Japan that raced through a particular town, and they're still trying to find people, and tremendous devastation, particularly in Germany. And now the reports are, you know, we, we're just going to have to get used to more and more of this and for various kinds of reasons. There's some really fascinating stories about this and very dangerous stories. So again, Pallas Athena and Chiron back to back uh, over 48 hours, not moving. Again, as I'm saying, it's not necessarily, oh, they went retrograde. It's that they weren't moving and they weren't moving both together in the sky in a fire, in a water sign and a fire sign. And remember, Pallas Athena has a lot to do with the immune system. And um, we'll, we'll get into Pallas Athena again, but that's part of the reason. Remember the July 4th holiday and Joe Biden had said, well, we want everybody to be in their backyards and so on. Uh, I am a neutral, uh, an independent as far as left, right, whatever it is. I don't have a particular party that I d identify with. It bothers me when any president of the United States will talk about, oh, five months from now, this is what we would like to have particularly with the pandemic and what happened in the United States, don't make predictions. I mean, it's dangerous for astrologers to make predictions because it's very easy to be wrong. I'm not predicting anything. I'm trying to say, here are the dates, here are the times, here are the principles. Now, you focus on it, see what happens. Here are the potentialities. Planets and asteroids and Chiron, and Sedna, Eris, they can be positive if you use them on a higher level. Okay, depending on your understanding and your studies, where they are in your birth chart, where they are by cycle. That's the whole point, is, is to understand where they all are, what the elements are, what are the conditions, and so on. Watch the news or tune into things, get as accurate of a reporting, whether it's astrometeorology or downloading stories or reading your favorite periodicals or exploring periodicals that may be on the other side of the political spectrum that you might normally not study. Okay, so what about the other ones? Okay, then we get um, Pallas Athena. Okay, so Pallas Athena, as I said, July 14th, Pallas Athena stopped in Pisces in a water sign at 28 degrees, and it will go direct on November the 8th, um, also in Pisces at 9 of Pisces. Now, let me jump to this other thing. Remember I said in uh, Eleanor Bach, in her work, which was in a book called... Um, it, uh, a graphic uh, ephemeris of sensitive degrees. This was in her spiral bound book. There's no, it's not out there in the public. It's, it's long gone, but I happen to have a copy. And on one of the pages, what is it? Um, I wrote it down, page 63. She gives keynotes um, for each of the four main asteroids. And so here's Pallas Athena. Just again, I believe so strongly that Pallas Athena is connected, as she said, to the immune system, genetic code, and DNA. So first of all, and some of these are not connected to the immune system, but I just want you to know what was some of the, from the, from the list. This is not everything from the list, but a lot. Olives, the owl, the, 
the bird, the owl, the shield and spear, they're all related to Pallas Athena. Um, okay, laboratories, think tanks, research centers, engineers and engineering, technicians, um, computer programming, um, efficiency experts, um, affinity for solving problems, patterns and perception. And, and now here's the critical area, DNA, the genetic code, the immune system, autism, dyslexia, and the immune system when it's strong or whether, when it breaks down. Now, again, I shared a whole two, I think it was one article or two articles that she wrote for Welcome Planet Earth. It was several podcasts ago, Eleanor Bach's own words, where I'm talking all about that. Now, why is Pallas Athena, why are we getting the problems in the United States? And let's not forget, I mean, it seems like kumbaya. Wow, compared to last year, we were like the worst country in the world. We weren't handling it well at all. It was very, very difficult. So we're way behind. Now Biden and Harris come in. So there's more of a momentum, whether it's right or not. I think it's primarily right to get as many people vaccinated. I do believe this is an actual pandemic. I've I've done some of the coronavirus uh, and astrology work that takes us back to the 1300s. And I've you can listen to those about the bubonic plague when we also had Jupiter conjunct Saturn in 1345, two years before the plague, which came from China, hit hit Florence. And then for four, was it 40? No, for 60 years on and off, the bubonic plague or the black plague would keep hitting town after town after town. And even though we have medicines now and so on, if we fall back into the situation in the 1300s where we have so many people saying it's not real, it's not going to bother me, I can do my own thing, then just like a hundred years ago when we had the Spanish flu, we were not learning those lessons, we're also going to fall apart if we don't tune in as best as we can to science and medicine, balance all that with our own views about freedom and possibilities and so on. And again, this is not... Uh, promotion to say you have to get vaccinated if you're listening to what I'm saying. You choose whatever you want to do. But if you want to study somebody who got into all of this, so Pallas Athena has a lot to do with the immune system, among other things. Again, strategizing, problem solving, efficiency, organization, laboratories, and engineering, knowledge, wisdom, and all kinds of other things. The art of war, uh, knitting, uh, quilting, chess, uh, people who are good with board games and all kinds of things. Uh, the Pentagon on a national level or defense departments protecting the nation, um, protecting us from cybercrime, protecting uh, uh, our water uh, treatments, our nuclear facilities, the whole thing of being able to be smart enough and wise enough and tuned in enough with intelligence, like intelligence departments around the country, uh, intelligence in Washington, D.C., working inside, uh, again, even the Central Intelligence Agency, even if they've made mistakes in the past, that's connected to uh, Pallas Athena, as well as to Vesta, which is how we, we are safe and secure. So Pallas Athena, the daughter archetype, very connected to Vesta as the sister archetype. And those two are also very interesting because the daughter and the sister are not necessarily marriage-oriented like Ceres as a mother, would therefore have a father as a companion, and uh, Juno would have a spouse, whether male, female, whatever it may be, in a partnership. But Pallas Athena and Vesta are more individual. 
individually oriented. They're not in a relationship to another person in terms of their qualities. But the important thing here is that everything I've been sharing in these other podcasts about Neptune, which can be very marvelous with psychic sensitivity and creative imagination, all kinds of wonderful compassion and universal love, music, art, so many other wonderful qualities of what Neptune represents, its shadow side is deception and illusion and fantasies and things that are not real. So while Neptune can represent religion on a higher level and idealism, and again, uh, whether it's Buddhism or Taoism and different kinds of religious and philosophical longings um, that are extremely spiritual and divine, uh, Neptune also has a capacity for creating obfuscation and nebulosity and illusions and deceptions and so on. So on May 30th, Pallas, Pallas Athena and Neptune joined together at 23 of Pisces. On August 27, um, uh, by, they'll both be retrograde. They'll come together again at 22 plus or the 20, 23rd degree of Pisces. Now remember, in the United States birth chart, Neptune itself is at 23 degrees of Virgo. So Pallas Athena is joining with Neptune. They came together on eight, May 30th, um, right before we started some of these summer activities and, and a full month before July 4th. And, and they're still hanging around together. And Pallas Athena just made a station next to Chiron. And now we're finding the Delta variant in the United States, in Tokyo, and many other countries. Look, Brazil has it really bad. India has it really bad. Some of these Euro, uh, Asian countries like Singapore and Korea, Japan itself, very few, very small vaccination um, percentage. That's part of the reason they're thinking that, that they're not allowing uh, people to go into these stadiums and they, they could even cancel some of these if, if it gets out of hand. China as well. We don't always get reports that are accurate from China. Russia appears to be having enormous problems with increase uh, in COVID, particularly these, these variants, the United Kingdom, France, a lot of the European countries again. Los Angeles County has put in a mask requirement, or at least trying to, going against the CDC. That just started this last weekend. Some of these other cities, we still don't know what's going to happen in the fall. And I mentioned the Sturgis motorcyclists, half a million or so coming together in South Dakota, just like last year, and then going back to all these different countries. I really find that to be unbelievably dangerous particularly with young students. New York City, the mayor is still planning to open all the public schools. That's where I went to public school. I can't imagine kids going, uh, you know, into those schools uh, en masse. You know, now most of the people will be vaccinated, but still with variants, you don't know. And then there are certain uh, families for religious reasons or others that don't want their kids vaccinated or refuse to do it and so on. Uh, and apparently they're not doing anything hybrid in New York. It's like, Everybody's got to go to school. Now, a lot of the universities in the United States, I'm hearing, even the latest Indiana University, a judge said, hey, if the people at Indiana want to force the students to be vaccinated, they're not going to interfere. And that's in a, a rather conservative state. So a lot of the universities are, are saying to their students coming back, they don't want to have epidemics, you know, in the fall, even though, because a lot of the students have not gotten fully vaccinated and they of course, with younger people, they may defy the rules. They're living in dorms if they are at the university. So we're going to have a lot of different issues of universities making these decisions. But the, one of the first ones was just the other day in Indiana. And if a conservative state and a conservative university um, is going to go ahead and 
say to their students, look, if you're going to come here, you need to be vaccinated, otherwise stay home or don't come to our university. We still don't know what's going to happen in the fall. I, it's just very alarming when um, I'm not talking about the people in different areas to say, hey, I'm in rural Missouri or Wyoming or wherever I am. I don't need to do this. You know, I'm far away from cities and I'm not going anywhere, so I'm not going to do this. And I don't believe that I need to do it or so on. So people are going to make those decisions. And again, for religious reasons, other people make those decisions as well. But what really bothers me is um, what happened with the motorcyclists in a small town in Sturgis last year seeing what then happened because they did monitor that they could see cell phone activity of all these bikers going back to the 50 different states and how they spread whatever it was and i know that that created not just people getting sick but people dying so the same thing unless something drastically changes with the governor in south dakota and again their state chart is not a conducive chart um to to help in this situation it mars is a very can be very detrimental in health matters. And the position of Mars is also in Virgo, basically in the South Dakota chart, is right at the top of America's chart, right where Neptune is. And also I, I reported that there's this faraway planet called Chaos. It's actually called that, and it's a real planet. And it is, when the United States was born, it's sitting right next to Neptune up there at, at 23 plus of Virgo. So South Dakota as a state with its Mars on the Midhaven or the vertical power point of the United States chart. What happens in South Dakota uh, can spread around the United States really powerfully. So that is a danger spot. That's coming up in August, once again, like last year. And I really dread what's going on there. So again, the final Pallas-Neptune conjunction is January 17 at 21 Pisces. But that's within a couple of days, six days of January 23rd of next year, when Ceres and Sedna come back together on the on the nodes, the north node, the fate destiny point in the sky, we're going to have Pallas and Neptune back together again in Pisces. And that will be when Neptune is closing in in the next two months to go opposite its own position. And then Pluto comes back in the United States chart. OK, so what's the last one? OK, Ceres, the, the mother asteroid. OK, so the, the, the last of the bunch this year is actually Ceres which I've been talking about with conjunct Sedna, on October 8th, Ceres will have gotten as far as 12 of Gemini. And then it will go, it will go retrograde on January the 14th. It's a relatively short time period of, it, of its going retrograde, but that's in an air sign in Gemini that uh, Ceres will start that retrograde, but then it will wind up making its station January 14th in Taurus. Now the point here is that we started with Virgo in this list, Virgo being a fiery principle, in essence, for good or for ill, in the Earth sign of Virgo, okay, making its stations, retrograde and then direct. Then we get Juno, okay, empowerment or disempowerment, where it can represent terrorism and storms in the atmosphere and so on, Juno in the fire sign of Sagittarius. So we get Vesta in Earth, we get Juno in fire, then we get Pallas Athena in water, so close to Neptune, and then we get Ceres going past Taurus to go into air, which is Gemini. So there you got the four elements and you got the four main asteroids all doing this. That's basically the asteroid apocalypse. And then we toss in the fact that Ceres and Sedna together, as I've been saying, Sedna with its 11,400 year orbit, its connection to Neptune, 
being a goddess of the frozen depths of the water and connected to all these wonderful sea creatures like dolphins and whales and sea turtles and so on. So look, all of these celestial bodies, these goddess energies are positive in their essence. But with several thousand years of male chauvinism and destruction of the planet and let's just do whatever we want and the different kind of authoritarian leadership and keeping women repressed and minorities repressed and so on, all these different rules and regulations that have uh, imbalanced the entire planet to the point of all these issues with destroying forests and pollution and so on. It's interesting that it was under Richard Nixon, a Republican, that the Environmental Protection Agency began. And I've done a podcast on that that's in one of their, 19, going back to 1970. So we're now 51 years into um, the uh, the environmental protection. Uh, and certainly during the four years during the Trump-Pence administration, a lot of those uh, systems that were to protect the earth um, were overruled. And now the Biden-Harris administration is beginning to shift those, although we don't know where that's going to lead and whether they're going to even stay in power with the midterm elections and the next election. That's a whole other subject. So um, by the way, if we go further next year, I just happened to note that in September, September 16 of 2022, so that's a, about, what, 14 months from now, Ceres will oppose Vesta, uh, and that will be from Leo to Aquarius. So that's completely different signs, but a fire and air sign. That will be two important asteroids, Ceres and Vesta, September 17, 2022. And then October 17 of 2022, this is all when Pluto is going to be opposed, uh, coming back to its own position in the United States chart, Ceres will then oppose Juno, and uh, Ceres will have moved on from Leo to be in Virgo, uh, and Juno will be in Pisces at that point. So we got another situation. The reason I brought that up is a little over a year from now, Ceres opposite Vesta from a fire to an air sign, Ceres opposite Juno from an earth to a water sign. Again, the four elements coming back up the traditional four elements. This year, the asteroids through their stations going retrograde and direct are activating the four elements that make up our planet and all elemental qualities. So we, again, floods, fires, storms, wind, all of these things that are affecting us all around, what I'm calling the asteroid apocalypse. There is much more to this. Um, and by the way, as I was about to... to uh, get into all of this, I, I decided, oh, wait a minute, what about Ceres actually conjunct the, the North Node itself? So we know that Ceres and Sedna are together three times in late Taurus, and at the third one in January next year, the North Node will be there in late Taurus. But it turns out that Ceres itself in Gemini, on August 24th, Ceres will be conjunct the Fate and Destiny North Node. See, right now, Juno in Sagittarius is with the South Node which is usually referred to more karmically. The North Node is more Dharma. So Ceres, the largest asteroid, after it conjuncts Sedna here uh, on July 28th, almost a month later, Ceres will, will be in Gemini on the North Node of the Moon. But then Ceres is going to go retrograde, as I mentioned, in October, and there'll be another Ceres-North Node conjunction at zero Gemini at the winter solstice in the Northern Hemisphere, December 20th. And then a third the third one will be January 23rd to 25th in late Taurus again with Sedna, and that'll be the third time that Ceres is with the north node of the moon. So not only is Ceres with Sedna three times, 
but fundamentally Ceres independently of Sedna twice will be with the North Node in Gemini and then at the third time you'll get them again together in January with the North Node. So look Ceres is a big deal it's always been a big deal it's the mother of the four main asteroids of mother daughter partner and sister and now we see that it's extraordinarily powerful. So to top it all off I just wanted, and I did share this in another podcast, the chart of Eleanor Bach, um, my great teacher, um, as I shared before, I think earlier in this podcast, but I shared it before, it turns out that my own mom and dad are sun sign Capricorn, sun sign Aries, and my main teacher is Eleanor Bach is a sun sign Capricorn, literally born the same day as my mother three years later, and Dane Rudyard, who's a sun in Aries, uh, who is my main male mentor in astrology is a sun sign Aries and my dad was a sun sign Aries so again you can't make this up so um, I'm presenting Eleanor Bach's chart in a way that she would have never recognized it she was born January 11 1922 at 12 17 in the morning in a town called Culp, Culpmont Pennsylvania and the chart that I'm putting out here includes a lot of these faraway planets so you'll see keen uh, little abbreviations all around the chart, like at the very top of her chart, H-A-U, that's Haumea. Haumea is a fertility goddess of Hawaii, one of these outer planets beyond Pluto. So it turns out, I don't know if Eleanor ever went to Hawaii, she's got Haumea as her most elevated planet. Um, her, her natal moon in Gemini, which is trying her Jupiter rising in Libra. Um, one of the things she and I both share is Jupiter rising in an air sign. So when I met her and, I, and she shared her chart, it was like, wow, I have Jupiter and Aquarius rising. You've got Jupiter and Libra. I can really learn from you, Eleanor Bach. It turns out Eleanor Bach has a moon in Gemini in her ninth house of higher mind and philosophy, trying her rising degree, which is Libra, and her Jupiter. But lo and behold, Maki Maki, you'll see the abbreviation M-A-K. That is a god from Easter Island, okay? A creator god. Turns out her, one of her closest alignments is moon conjunct Maki Maki. Uh, I don't know if she ever studied uh, Easter Island and everything connected to that. It's fascinating. It's often on uh, Coast to Coast and certainly on Ancient Aliens on the History Channel. So Eleanor Bach, uh, I don't know if you've studied your faraway planets, moon conjunct Maki Maki, 10 minutes of arc. That's one-sixth of one degree of the zodiac. Talk about a conjunction there. And you'll see she's got Quayor, Q-U-A in the 11th house, another planet called Ixion, I-X-I. I'm just giving you these names because uh, in a lot of the charts that I'm putting out now, I'm putting these faraway planets. You'll see uh, C-H-A, which is not chaos. It's actually, that's Shariklo over in her 8th house at 21 of Taurus. Um, her Sedna happens to be 13 plus of Aries setting in her chart. Not exactly, but guess what? It's on the south node of her, of her moon. So uh, the the fate one of the fate points for Eleanor is thirteen plus of Aries, the south node of the moon. You'll see in her sixth house, Sedna is right there. So here I'm sharing about Ceres that she brought to the world as the largest asteroid, the mother archetype, with the four main asteroids that she brought to the world in her ephemeris. She brings out these asteroids, particularly Ceres, and I'm talking about Ceres conjunct Sedna three times. And when Eleanor is born, Sedna, which, again, Sedna was discovered January 2005. Eleanor died in 1995, so she didn't know about that. She also, uh, excuse me, Eris was uh, was born January of 2005, and Sedna was 
was discovered uh, in uh, November of 2003, which again, this is about eight years after Eleanor passed away in 1995. Uh, Eris in her chart, another faraway planet, like I said, um, discovered January 2005, has about a 560 year cycle. She's got Eris at 28 degrees of Pisces in her sixth house. You'll also see Varuna, uh, V-A-R, 18 of Pisces. That's a creator energy from India, uh, from Hindu mythology. So that's a number of her celestial bodies, just to know, are very close to mine. Again, her, her sun degree is my mother's sun degree, both my mother and uh, Eleanor Bach having the same birthday. So, and then she also has a grand trine. I thought this was very interesting. If you look in the, her ninth house, you'll see Pluto at eight of Cancer. If you look in her first house where there's Jupiter, Ceres, the, the mother asteroid, is at zero Scorpio. In her first house of higher self-expression, I think that's significant that Ceres, which she brings out to the public, is in her first house. Also, her palace, Athena, and I did mention this in another podcast, the diamond with the cross under it, just in her 12th house above Jupiter. Her palace, Athena, is 14 of Libra, which is conjunct her north node, and that's 14 of Libra is Saturn in the United States birth chart. And by the way, Eleanor has the Jupiter-Saturn midpoint, the midpoint of the two largest celestial bodies, is her, is her palace and her north node, which is also the United States Saturn. And Eleanor Bach shared a lot, even in that first ephemeris of the asteroids, gave out charts for the United States, for Dane Rudyard, Adele Davis, uh, Jesse Jackson, I think, is in there, certain other people to demonstrate the power of the, the asteroids. Uh, and she has Mars at nine of Scorpio in the first house, trying that Pluto in the ninth, but she also has Uranus in Pisces at seven degrees in the fifth house. So she has a very powerful water grand triangle. So in addition to the, the power of air in her chart, uh, moon in Gemini, Maki Maki in the ninth, trining Jupiter in Pallas, rising uh, Libra, her strong Capricorn energy, Sun um, Capricorn, uh, 20 degrees right at the bottom of her chart with Venus and Mercury down there. By the way, Shariklo in her eighth house, who's the companion to Chiron, Shariklo has a 62-year cycle that goes with the 50-year cycle of Chiron. Shariklo is considered kind of the consort or uh, hesitate to say wife or partner, the, the female partner with Chiron. And just like Chiron, who's into so many things with shaman and mentoring and guides and psychic and spiritual energy, Shariklo is very powerful in that way as well. And so when Eleanor was born, the sun was approaching Shariklo with a strong trine energy. It's a very wonderful chart, very balanced, so many things. Again, I am adding all of these other planets just so you can see what's going on in her chart. So now, having done all that, and we're somewhere around the two-hour yeah, it's not too bad considering I've done some three-hour ones. I will now focus on the story. Okay, so originally, again, this is from 24 years ago, but I'm basically uh, quoting from 1991 uh, about the series mystery. It's not a, not that long, but I just wanted you to have some words um, that were in our magazine to, in, in a sense, support everything I'm sharing here. So this is on page four of that particular issue. Again, if you go into the folder at greatbearenterprises.com for podcast 84, you'll see the actual cover to show that I'm not 
giving you false news. This was actually our 16th anniversary magazine. Again, many astrologers were participated for 20 years. This is where the great app that my daughter has now created for us, Astrology Cosmic Calendar, Calendar with a K. As I said earlier, you can get for free one day at a time for your phone, iOS or Android, or subscribe. It's not very expensive, so you can go into the future. So the Cosmic Calendar was actually in here. I'm looking at it right now, pages, pages. There was a Leo New Moon. Void, of course, Moon was always in there. Heliocentric nodes of the planets, planetary stations. The Cosmic Calendar had a full treatment of like, what, six different pages, including asteroid positions, the dragon's head, and north node, and south node of the moon, and so on. So it was a big deal, the Cosmic Calendar. Now it's an app. Anyway, so I'm reading to you from page four. It is not that long to page 31, the series mystery. So here goes. The series mystery. What mystery? What are we talking about? Here in part one, part two may not appear until 1998, I'm only offering you some cryptic clues about our topic. This is a mystery and may remain so for a long time, but in our Sagittarius 1991 edition, the series Conspiracy, and Cancer 1992 magazine, The Secret of Star Wars, part one, I offered crucial information on this mystery. Now, what follows is, one, one condensed paragraph containing the heart of the mystery. Two, a listing of events, times, and placements that you will need to, quote, solve the mystery, unquote. Three, a repeat of a few crucial statements I made in the Sagittarius 1991 and Cancer 1992 issues about Ceres. Part of the reason for doing this is that transiting Ceres, May 24th to uh, August 21, December 17th, 1997, is returning to its place in an America's birth chart, which is eight plus degrees of Pisces. This triple return is the first triple return in 23 years, 1974 and 1951, with the last series triple returns to its natal placement for the USA. Also, on the Art Bell radio show in the past few months, a scientist working with Richard Hoagland, face on Mars fame, is discussing the series destruction of a planet's, of a planet's scenario from a different angle regarding com comets in the solar system. I wanted to report, quote, my version, unquote, which was already written up in our magazine in 1991-1992. Okay, to be born at the time that a planetary body is stationary makes that planetary principle or theme incredibly potent for good or ill for the entity born at that time. America was born with only one planetary body stationary, Ceres, stationed retrograde July 3rd, 1776, and still not moving on July 4th of 1776. Ceres is located for the USA at 8 degrees and 42 minutes of Pisces and is almost precisely square to America's natal Uranus at 8 degrees and 55 minutes of Gemini. This very close square pattern on one level can be summed up as the splitting or fission Uranus of the atom, basic unit of material earthly life, Ceres. Important. For the first time since America was born, transiting Pluto in 1998-1999 will cross America's horizon at 7 plus of Sagittarius and then make three precise squares to the USA series and three precise oppositions to the United States Uranus. This will reactivate the splitting of the atom, series Uranus, element of the mystery in a very extreme manner, possibly related to nuclear energy and or nuclear terrorism. Let me just pause there for a second. See, I'm writing this in 1997. 
I'm talking about events with Pluto crossing America's horizon and activating Ceres and Uranus and its square in the U.S. chart. I'm, at, I'm writing about this in 1998, uh, about what could happen 1998-1999. And various events did happen before 911 in 2001 that related to Osama bin Laden. There was the um, the uh, event of, of our of our ship, the coal, and different of our sailors were killed. There were other kind of terrorist acts that all were leading up to 911. And let's not re, let's not forget that the first World Trade Center bombing in the basement of the World Trade Center had already happened in the beginning of the Clinton administration, 1993, right at the time of Waco. This was in the beginning when Clinton took office. Talk about um, the fiery destruction um, in Waco um, and then the explosion uh, at the, in the basement of the World Trade Center, which was obviously uh, something, a warning that we didn't heed correctly for what would then happen eight years later in 2001. Anyway, right, back to the story. So here I am, I'm talking about what could happen um, in 1998, 1999, when Pluto cr crosses the United States ascendant. Uh, all of this links back to the destruction of a planet in our solar system millions of years ago, what is now the asteroid belt and the destruction or destructions of the Atlantean civilization over many epochs. The last one probably being 10,000 to 11,000 BC during the age of Leo. Some of the key players in this mystery are America, the former Soviet Union, Israel, George Lucas, the series Discovery Moment, and Pluto's transits in 1998 and 1999. Okay, so then in bold, uh, I'm just telling you what I have here in the article. In bold, I did the following one, several points. Discovery of Ceres, January 1, 1801, at 23 plus a Taurus. Ceres is stationary retrograde on July 3rd and 4th, 1776, at 8 plus degrees of Pisces. The former Soviet Union is born November 8th and 9th of 1917, with the Sun Ceres Union at 14 and 15 of Scorpio. George Lucas, the creator of the Star Wars series of movies, is born on May 14, 1944, with the sun at 23 plus Taurus, exactly conjunct the series Discovery Placement. Israel comes into being on May 14, 1948, with the sun at 23 plus Taurus, conjunct the series Discovery uh, Placement. And now this quote from Star Wars. I felt a great disturbance in the force, as if millions of voices suddenly cried out in terror, and were suddenly silenced. Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars. Okay, here's what I said in the Sagittarius 1991 and Cancer 1990 issues in part. So now I'm quoting in the article from 24 years ago. So here's what I wrote. As indicated earlier, Ceres takes 4.6 years to circle the zodiac, and this largest of the thousands of asteroids traveling around the sun between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter is located at two plus eight astronomical units from the sun, exactly where a planet should be. However, we all know that instead of a planet between Mars and Jupiter, we have the broken remains of a former planet. The great astrologer Dane Rudyard suggested that this planet may have been the, hold on as I turn the page, excuse me, may have been ancient Lucifer, and that the legendary story of Lucifer as the fallen angel may have referred to a cataclysm that destroyed this planet thousands of years ago. I would like to suggest or support those researchers who have already stated this, that the ancient planet between Mars and Jupiter was Ceres, 
or the planet signifying the mother goddess. Think about it. Mars and Jupiter could signify the warrior son Mars and the king father of the gods, Jupiter. What's missing between them is Ceres, the mother goddess. Mars signifies our dynamic and often selfish thrust out into the world. But Ceres and the orbit beyond would be able to shape that thrust so that one's desires, passions, and impulses would be realigned towards service, devotion, and hard work to benefit others. Through a strong Ceres, selfish desires, or Mars, would be rechanneled into humanitarian service, Ceres, improving the quality of life in the world society, Jupiter. Ceres definitely connects with productivity, nurturance, mothering, family roots, land, farming, full employment, good labor, management, relationships, grains and cereals, the harvest, childcare, daycare, healthcare, nursing, and as the great goddess, she ruled over the Greek Eleusinian mysteries, revealing the secret links of birth, death, and rebirth. These mysteries are being revealed again today in a new form through the work of researchers, psychologists, and investigators in the fields of death and dying, the afterlife, holistic healing, and similar fields. George Lucas on the discovery of Ceres. Now let's start putting together this celestial puzzle. In the Asteroid Ephemeris, TIA Publications, 1977, Dr. Zipporah Dobbin states on page 13 that a Sicilian astronomer named Piazzi actually first sighted Ceres on New Year's Day in 1801. Before conducting my own research on the Ceres conspiracy in the fall of 1991, I utilized my matrix software Blue Star 2.1 astrology program to print out an ephemeris for Ceres in December 1800 and January 1801 in order to pinpoint the exact placement of Ceres at its discovery on January 1, 1801. Ceres was located at exactly 23 degrees and 25 minutes of Taurus at that time, in retrograde motion and slowing down. It would make a station almost two weeks later at the same place in the zodiac. Thus, the source energy of Ceres, its originating power, stems from Taurus 23 plus degrees, its discovery placement. When George Lucas was born May 14, 1944, at 5.40 a.m. Pacific Wartime in Modesto, California, information from Lois Rodden and other sources, data from his birth certificate, the sun was located at 23 degrees and 34 minutes of Taurus. Thus, George Lucas is sun. His heart, vitality, and creative power is precisely illuminating discovery placement of Ceres. He is the door opener to the mystery of Ceres and the destruction of a planet in our solar system thousands of years ago. Amazingly, as the writer and director of Star Wars, he, re he imaginatively recreated the moment when a Ceres-like planet, Alderaan, was blown apart by the dark side of the Force. So, that's it for now. With intelligence and vigilance, a possible disaster in the years ahead can be avoided. And then I went on and shared about other things, the, for, the forgotten cycle, Pluto inside Neptune's orbit, and a whole bunch of other things. So there you have it. Um, we've, in two and a half hours, I guess it is, um, we've been able to pull this off. And next time, I'm planning to do a podcast about uh, the void moon, um, because it's very powerful. And I use the void moon um, rather strongly uh, in the cosmic calendar for the last 40 years, but there are reasons why I put it in there, and it's not because I believe wholeheartedly that the void moon has the meaning that it has. But back uh, somewhere in the 1990s, when I read from the article or the various articles of different astrologers about the void moon and its power, 
I'm going to be sharing some very powerful stories, uh, particularly from someone who's passed on named Al Morrison. And he was one of the catalysts for people to, particularly uh, in the 1980s and 1990s and even earlier in the 70s when I got into astrology, um, making people aware that the void moon, which has been around for hundreds of years, um, has an awesome power and we need to recognize it because certain things can go awry and go negatively if we don't watch the void moon. There are some sterling qualities of things we can do when the moon is void and the void moon can take place for minutes or hours or even more than a day. And when I do that particular podcast, um, again, I'm going to get into these presidential inaugurations when the moon was void and other ways of looking at the void moon. And I may be quoting from other astrologers who did write about the void moon in that particular issue. And I had my own viewpoints in there, but particularly this person, Al Morrison, who's passed away, was somebody who, um, through his work, in particular every year, he did a little pamphlet that could fit in your pocket. And it had all the void times for the whole year ahead. And it was a convenient little guide to have because he so strongly believed that we needed to be aware of when the moon every two to two to two and a half days makes its last of these major alignments to certain planets. It goes back to Ptolemy from 100 AD, um, who was, um, I guess, I, I believe he was a Greek um, living in Egypt, but I know he, he lived in Alexandria. And that was around 100 BC. And we still have his different books and teachings and ideas. And a lot of uh, modern astrologers are going way back to these original books and teachings. It's very fascinating. So I hope you've enjoyed what we shared this time. Again, to me, the asteroids, the work of Eleanor Bach and other people, there's so many other asteroids that are now being used. Um, I mean, there's Hygieia, there's uh, Estrella, there's dozens of asteroids. And some people... I mean, there's so many named asteroids. And then there are the centaur bodies, again, Chiron, Chiriclo, Pholos, Nessus, and other ones. There's many of these outer planets. So one of the dangers here is the chart gets filled up with so many different asteroids and centaur bodies and regular bodies and Chiron and outer planets that we lose the cohesiveness of everything. So it is still important, as my main male mentor would say, Dane Rudyard, when he he lived 90 years from who was born in 1895 and lived to 1985. So um, it, it, he had only known about the four main asteroids that Eleanor Bach brought out in 1973. He only knew about them for 12 years. And I remember he was writing and saying, let's not jump into this all that fast because he had been already writing so many incredible books for decades when we weren't using those asteroids. And Chiron had not been discovered. We didn't know anything about Eris. We didn't know anything about Sedna. So, so many of the teachers I had... Um, uh, including Eleanor Bach. I mean, Eleanor Bach is, again, I was sharing about her chart just a few moments ago that's in our in our folder section at Great Bear Enterprises in Podcast 84, where you can look at her chart, and I advise you to do that because she's one of the great leading ladies and uh, lights of, of astrology, particularly through the asteroids. And she, was, she wrote about all four of the asteroids in Welcome Planet Earth, and I feel grateful that in her passing that I was able in, in the last year or a year and a half to be able to actually read her words from her articles and welcome to planet earth to share with all of you. So do go back into these podcasts where you'll see uh, two of them, I believe will say Pallas Athena and the immune system. And that's when I'm reading from what she wrote about Pallas Athena in very lengthy articles for welcome to planet earth. And again, that that's such a big 
challenge right now with Pallas Athena making three conjunctions with Neptune. One other thing in, that I wanted to mention, Vesta in Virgo, remember when I was giving you the list, Vesta in Earth sign Virgo making a station on January 19th, which is the day before the inauguration of Biden and Harris, and Vesta stopping at 21 Virgo 24, almost exactly square to the United States Mars. Vesta had gone opposite um, Neptune uh, in Pisces. So they had made an opposition, I believe it was in December, and then they, they made another opposition in February, and then on July 2nd, very close to America's birthday, and still valid in the solar return chart for the United States, which we just had on July 4th. And I'd written about this earlier in an astral flash, which is on our, on our app. The danger or the concern I had that Vesta and Neptune were making three oppositions. I was concerned because Vesta has a lot to do with safety and security. And just like Pallas Athena has to do with the immune system, Vesta has a lot to do with whether we're safe and secure. The fact that we had um, now three Vesta-Neptune oppositions from Virgo to Pisces, and now we're having three Pallas Athena conjunctions with Neptune and Pisces. We've got one asteroid that was opposite Neptune with representing safety and security, Vesta and Virgo. And the other asteroid, Pallas Athena, has just made the first of of three, and that will still happen again August 27th in Pisces. Pallas and Neptune will both be going retrograde uh, together on August 27th, and then they'll come again in January, as I said, for the third one. So the interaction and the interweaving of these asteroids in the four main elements and how they're connecting up with either the nodes of the moon, as Ceres is doing, as Juno has been doing in Sagittarius with the south node of the moon, Ceres is going to do with the north node of the moon, with Gemini, Vesta having gone opposite Neptune three times, Pallas Athena in the water sign Pisces three times in conjunction with Neptune, the fact that Ceres and Sedna are together, which is such an extraordinary alignment in, in with the seven sisters in the Pleiades and with the nodes. We've got an asteroid um, apocalypse, but by knowledge and information and by this particular podcast, and then if you decide to get this new three-in-one we're doing with the Just for Women natal report, the four asteroids and Chiron natal report, and a one-year skylog, which can go from this summer into the summer of next year, that will energize 2021, 2022. And we already have the other three-in-one reports from our astrology report area in the astrology shop at Great Bear Enterprises, which is the Sky Within, the Advanced Numerology report, and a skylog for one year. So there are ways of using these reports to really get into your chart, to get into your transits, and to get into your progressions, secondary progressions, as well as the cosmic calendar, which again, we now have for iOS and Android, the astrology cosmic calendar, calendar with a K, that you can get for your phone and free one day at a time, but you can also get it to subscribe and it's not very expensive, you know, for, for a year. Um, and you can either pay all at once, or you can pay six months at a time, and then renew it, or you can pay monthly. So please get into these things. So you start working with the four main asteroids, work with Chiron, uh, deal with the new moons and the full moons. Again, there's going to be a new global hotspot on this next full moon. That's complimentary on our website in the global hotspot section. There's the complimentary astro business keys section to learn the main themes and archetypes of sun, moon, the eight planets, the four main asteroids, and Chiron. And the Earth Aquarius News section of articles are really fascinating. And also, uh, uh, my late partner who passed away, Nancy Liviera, 
in the section called uh, The Lunar Lodge, uh, I want to promote her writings, which are so extraordinary when she wrote for Welcome Planet Earth, particularly in 1992, a series of six stories. And we want to bring that out more to the public. That's in The Lunar Lodge, which is on the home page. She wrote beautiful stories, um, All We Know of Heaven, uh, A Stone Thrush, and so many other articles, beautiful writing and amazing soul and spirit indebted to her enormously. And there's in the Solar Lodge, there's part one of, of what's called the uh, the Astrological Da Vinci Code that I think I wrote, what was it, 14 years ago? And I'm about to to put the other part of it together that I that I wrote a long time ago, and I, I still have to proofread that. So that's the Lunar Lodge and the Solar Lodge uh, on the homepage. There are these triangular areas, and there's a lot of rich information if you go into both of those lodges to read those stories. Okay, so I'll take my leave for now. Thank you very much for listening. Next time we'll move on um, to the power of the void moon, which uh, a lot of people ignore, but uh, at your own peril, I think. And it's important that there are a lot of positive qualities to the void moon. There are challenging uh, qualities to it. And I do share about every void moon that happens, which every two to two and a half days for a few minutes, a few hours, or sometimes longer. And I do point it out in the cosmic calendar. I think we should all be aware of it. So when I do the next podcast, you'll learn a whole lot more historically about its meaning. Okay, thank you very much. Many healing and inspirational blessings to all of you. And thank you very much for listening. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.